tonight. Oticon 2013. We made it. August 9th through, through 10th, 11th, 2013 is what we shall be talking about on the Awesome Cast. Alright, folks, and welcome back to the Awesome Cast, episode 101. We, we've, we've conquered 100 episodes and we're continuing on. Yay! With me, I am, as always, the host, Basil, the guy that is the basiliest of Basils. With me is the most Twitterless of Kevins. Hello, Kevin, aka Twitterless Kevin. And with me are two guys who totally have Twitter, wonderful gents who come from. Orders of Worlds of Anime. First we have, uh, let's go with the order of my computer screen selling me, Daryl. Hey folks, great to be back on. And we also have Gerald. Hey guys, uh, good to be back. Those two names aren't phonetically similar at all, so hopefully yeah. our voices are different enough on this recording that the listeners can distinguish one of us from the other. It makes it really annoying in a crowd when someone yells one of our names. I, I I could see that. I, I could totally see that a lot. Thankfully, Kevin and I have not that issue. Because people tend to remember my name. Yes, wait. <laughs> see, now, if you were both named after a spice or a herb, that would be confusing. Yeah. That, that that would be confusing. Do you accept basil as your name only? Or if someone says basil, do you get, like, pissed and say, like, I'm not British? No, no, I totally accept both. I have... It is better than Brazil or bagel or thyme <laughs> or rosemary or, or sage. Or dillweed. Like, I think I got. I think that when people called me that, they didn't realize what, that was an herb. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was just grade school. <laughs> so, no basil, basil. I really don't care because so so many people. Whatever they originally heard Basil as is what they, or Basil, that's what they know, so I am fine with either. I remember one time going to OhioCon where I was actually eating at a Greek place in their mall, and the lady was like, oh, you mean Vasilios? And I was like, yes, that is my name in Greek. Only my priest has called me that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But in case people don't know, and I can't believe that they don't, but you guys are from the Anime World Order podcast. In we have a podcast? Are. And we actually released episodes lately, and yep, we have we... another one that will hopefully be out maybe even before this episode is out. Yeah, hopefully in a few days. It's just recorded. Oh, snap. So, it's, you know, that's three in a row for us, which for us is damn good. Yeah, yeah, no, trust me, we, this is, I think, our fourth or fifth in a row, and we're, we're flabbergasted. Yeah, something on somewhat like a regular schedule, it's amazing. We, we, we don't know what to do with ourselves, it's, except keep going. Yeah, once, uh, once we get through, like, the hump of, uh, of conventions, and, uh, you know, just how much they drain us, and, uh, working on panels, then it's kind of easier to 
kind of get back into the swing of things. Like, you totally guys should, I mean, you've been to a bunch of cons recently. You should, I don't know, maybe you've already done this and I don't know about it. But you should possibly do, like, an all-encompassing, like, we went to cons podcast. We have not well, done that because it's of limited interest to people, I guess. Just because the experience of going to one smaller convention versus another smaller convention can be often be very similar. And uh, going to a larger convention sometimes can be different, but, you know, it just really depends. But we're here to specifically talk about, I guess, pretty much the biggest one that we go to each year. Because we yeah. don't really hit the West Coast or France or Canada. Well, yeah, or, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, this side of the Mason-Dixie line, uh, Otakon is like the big dog. Of big dogs. Yeah, AX is just too prohibitively expensive for us to get to. If it were held maybe on a non-holiday uh, weekend, that would be a possibility. But uh, to plane ticket prices always double. So, But before we get into the main topic, you know, where can you find us? You can find us, the Awesome Cast, at awesomecast.com. You can check out our Index of Awesome for all our previous 100-plus episodes. We've got interviews, various craps that we put we crapped out but wanted to release something, uh, roundtables. We've got pictures that we never update anymore, all sorts of things. You can send us you know, emails at awesomecast at gmail.com. We have a voicemail that no one ever uses, 209-AWESOME-LINE. Or if you'd like to send any complaints please forward them to podcast at chainsawbuffet.com who is our one of our fe- other fellow podcasts who we've decided to get, get to be our, our, our dumping ground. <laughs> and, they, and they enjoy that. And then we can, you can find Emerald Order at animeworldorder.com not awopodcast.com even though it works. Don't use that. Use animeworldorder.com. The only we reason we that. don't uh, uh, advertise awopodcast.com is just because that's where the hosting is as of this recording, if we change to another hosting, that URL may vanish, but the Anime World Order is just a redirect to wherever we happen to be. Yeah. It'll be the most up-to-date forever. Well, as long as we're doing the podcast. So, hopefully forever. I hope so. <laughs> now, I know that, Daryl, you also write for Otaku USA. Is there any awesome Otaku USA things you'd like to plug at this time? Uh, sure, I mean, there is a new issue that just came out. I had, uh, I guess I did the cover for that. Uh, I did a One Piece Strong World review and Attack on Titan. Perhaps you've heard of these things. There's also on the website, otakuusamagazine.com, they have put together a sort of a free PDF of compiling articles of reviews of things for 2012 and 2013. I wrote about half of that. It's basically just reprints of things from the print magazine in the event, the likely event that people don't read print magazines, but we are also available digitally and such, so you can go ahead and check that out. But because of this convention schedule, I did not uh, submit anything for the next issue that's about to come out because they're really good at having the deadline be exactly at the time of the cons happening, and so even though I say up front, you know, there's all these weeks of me not doing anything, as long as I don't need to do it the week of the con, you know, just let me know ahead of time. And they never seem to do that, but uh, that's just how it works out, I guess. That might be the second issue ever that I didn't write anything for after six years. All right, well, 
That's how you can find us. That's what we're stuff we're doing. But now my my compatriots, my friends, my uh, what do they call it? Uh, Nakama. <laughs> I think that's what they call it. Nakama. Let's get into moments of awesome. It's a moment of awesome. Moments of awesomes are things that we talk about that we think is cool, but haven't played or watched enough to really give out a full review. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll kick this off. For something that is something actually I've now read all of, full or full review, I sort of binged on this. Uh, in case people don't know, for at least par- at least for like iDevices and apparently less Android devices than I thought, Viz has a manga app that you can use, that you can buy manga from, and they include and you can also get the most awesome deal in manga, which is their weekly Shonen Jump which is like 25 bucks for a year of Shonen Jump that ha- that's like day and date with Japan releases. It's awesome. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a 1980s to 1990s manga called Please Save My Earth. Now, did you ever watch the anime version of that first, or are you just reading the manga only? I did watch the anime way back when I was a young idiot who didn't re- who was only just learning what anime really was, uh, back in high school, hanging out with Kevin. Back in the VHS days. Yeah, the reason I was the- asking is just because it was one of those old releases that came out way back in the day, and it was an example of something that was unlike any other anime anyone had ever seen before, because it was a cartoon was- for girls. Yeah, it was specifically, yeah. That was one of the very f- few shoujo anime we got over here. Yeah, and at the time, I didn't realize that, and I just thought it was really cool. And the name and the whole thing stuck with me for so long, and I was just browsing when I got back from Otakon through what uh, what manga they had, because I was also using it to uh, read uh, Dan Geeky Daisy, because I'm a terrible uh, shoujo fiend, and I'll read whatever. I don't care how crappy it is, apparently. But I was looking through it, and I saw Please Save My Earth. I'm like, wow. I've been kind of looking for this off and on for a while now, once I started getting into manga. Unfortunately, I gotten into manga, really, after Viz had released everything. Well, the anime so, for... When you say you got the manga after they released the whole thing, is that what you're saying? Right. Oh, that's probably like, for the best, then, because you wouldn't have had to wait for the next issue. Well, it's true, and thankfully, because Viz is right now doing a sale... And all the volumes were instead of like five bucks, they were all four bucks. So it was slightly cheaper to buy all twenty-one volumes. And I totally just binged. And because I could, once you started, uh, once I started, I couldn't stop. And so I read it all in like a week. And what it is, it is a it is a shojo manga series. It uh, is done by uh, Saki uh, Hiwatari, and it is about these people who are experiencing past lives, who were aliens on a space station, and things happen. Like, each one of them um, is more or less a reincarnation of somebody else on this space station, and they are dreaming of their past lives. However, one of them is not quite being truthful of what they're saying, and they have plans for various sundry or possibly not sundry reasons and there ends up being this whole drama 
based off both of what was happening in the past, what's happening now, how do you reconcile who you were to who you are now when you actually know when you're knowing or learning about both. Now, now that you have seen and, uh, the anime and read the manga, you now have some insight into this. How far into the manga story did that anime get? Because it ended in a kind of like, well, go read the comics weird. now that don't exist, yeah. guys. I remember... Now, granted, when I watched that anime, again, I was a teenager, and I'm past my otaku expiration date. Um, so this is a long time ago. But I do remember uh, the big climatic thing was taking place uh, at a shrine. Um, where various characters are fighting with various means. And that is pretty early on in the manga. That is like volumes like three or right, four. because they only made a, a very small amount of episodes, and each episode didn't cover that much. And the anime was kind of like this sort of infamous, infamously slow-paced thing, and then it didn't really end, and then for, you know, decades... That was all we had. The notion of them actually ever releasing this comic in English in a format that we could read only came long after most of the people who were into that anime had moved on. And so, yeah, it's like the anime was done in 95 and the manga didn't start getting released until like 2000, early 2000s in America. And when I finally was like, I want to get into this was like three or four years ago after they had finished up the manga run and it was just a pain to try and find everything. Because once manga goes out of print, it goes it gets hard to find. Get, and oh, then yeah. there are maniacs online who want to charge like $300 for this issue of Monster or stuff. So I, I know you're Yeah, paying. like it's... Yeah. Like I uh, re- last year I decided on a quest and I said I was going to get all Amazing Nikoku in manga form. And I did it, but some of the volumes were like 30 or 40 bucks. Which editions? And because if, you, if I had known that, I'd probably have the old editions of that, the flipped uh, left-to-right editions. I have like a full set of that, and I may or may not have rebought it, but I, I can't remember at this point. I, I have the second set. The, I think it's the Editor's Choice editions, because the original editions cut out chapters. That's correct. And when I when I first started buying my Mason Nikoku, I was buying both and didn't realize what I was doing until I was like, wait a minute, this isn't right. Yeah. I just read this chapter, and then I actually looked into things and was like, oh, oh crap. Well, at least you weren't buying well, Dragon Ball Z on DVD, because then you would have been buying every single release that had been released to date, wondering why do you keep watching the same thing? This fight seems even longer. <laughs> than I thought it would have been otherwise. But now, why would I even bother when using getting weekly Shonen Jump, I get to now get read all of Dra- Dragon Ball Z, the manga, in color. That's correct. <laughs> which is something that you can only do well in like this digital format where you're not having to pay the outrageous cost for printing in color. No, I just wish that Viz would get off their ass and fix the uh, Android app. According to everybody else in the world with Android, it works fine, and so they aren't aware that there's a problem that needs fixing. I'm wondering, because, Gerald, you said you have, you have, a, what, you have a tenant screen, yes. Nexus, and right? and I think everybody else is reading it on a 7-inch screen. 
Right. So I'm thinking that must be the issue. And it's it's purely um, a simple little sizing variable that they just need to fix. And I mean, they haven't. Put I'm surprised you out. can't do that with a separate app. There must be any number of other apps that work or are scaled for the seven inch that you know would scale to the ten inch with some sort of third party application. I mean, it's Android, right? Uh, there might be, but I'm not. I'm not aware of anything. I just am pissed that it, they. You know, something like this is not uh, fixed yet. I would say that since you paid money for this thing, you could probably find a free thing that would scale it from seven to ten in the event that the app can't just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of understand that because, for example, uh, the Funimation app uh, on my original Nexus that I had, it was fine because that was it was like 720p for resolution, but the new Nexus. I ended up getting a bigger, the, the bigger size one because I need more space to hold more manga because I'm a loser. Um, <laughs> or a winner, depending on how you want to look at it. And the Funimation app, when it displays videos, it displays apparently at the resolution exactly. So when I do it in HD, it's only displaying in 720p, even though my screen size is so much, my resolution is so much bigger. Mm. And so I only get it like in this window in the middle of the screen. It's not nearly taking up the real estate. It could and you be. can't like long press on it and have it like full screen. Nope, hmm. not that I found. But it's still better than trying to watch it on the web. Yeah, well, you do, what? You don't like waiting for like two minutes for that just the video to load, or waiting two minutes for me to be able to log in. Yeah. That loses my login every time I go to the website. Uh, I thought, Lance, you said it was fixed. It was good. <laughs> you know, I put out a, a um, you know, just a little you know, survey of people and what they used, and virtually nobody uses Funimation stuff. Not, not because, you know, they have anything against Funimation, just because Crunchyroll's works. It, it does, and yeah. another thing I have an issue with Funimation's website is that my monitor is an ultra-wide monitor. Mm. It is a, its resolution is longer than normal. And Funimation and that one, and the web does blow it up full screen. But it blows it up full screen. No black bars on the sides to account for my long, my bigger, resol- my longer resolution. So it cuts off the tops and bottoms of the video which includes the subtitles. Ah. Oh. That's another negative. <laughs> but let me tell you, gaming on that thing, if the video game is designed for it is awesome. I got to play Tomb Raider on it recently. I bought on a Steam sale. I just finished up my I'm in my middle of my third run of Shadowrun Returns, which also uses it and it's it's really nice. But okay, I've talked enough. Kevin, give us a moment <laughs> of awesome. I there's nothing awesome going on. Okay. Oh, you, yes, bought, there is. you bought some super robot wars thing. Of course I did. But the one came out. I bought it. No, uh no, um, actually, there's a interesting story. I did get, uh, just recently purchased, uh, Maso Kishin 3, uh, which is a spinoff of the Super Robot Wars universe featuring the first original character they created and his adventures. Uh, what's interesting about it is the first game was on Super Nintendo, and then back, you know, in the heyday of Super Nintendo, and the second game only came out last year. The third game coming out this year. Just, and in true uh, Super Robot Wars fashion, they just pick up the story immediately. No recap, no anything. Just, you know everything about this because this game came out 20 years ago. Go. 
Actually, yes. The second one, okay, admittedly, all in Japanese, and I'm only semi-literate in Japanese, but uh, from what I can tell, yeah, it expects you to remember everything that went on in the first one. In fact, you could buy the extra special edition that came with the PSP remake of the first game and the second game packaged together. Hmm, nice. I mean, but, but uh, yeah, I, I can't play the Super Robot Wars games and, unless I see them in English. It's just, it's too daunting. Well... Once again, back in the, well, in the heyday of uh, early SNES emulators, I pretty much learned by rote to play these games. Uh, now I basically know, and since then I've actually gotten a little more literate in Japanese, so that helps too. With a, In fact, I think it's helped me get more literate in Japanese because I'm familiar with, being familiar with the shows involved in the games gives me a bit of an edge in going, I think this is what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I can, I trying... can functionally play the games since I can recognize the characters from the show and have an understanding of the unit's abilities, plus the character, you know, spirits or whatever you want to call them, those abilities are reasonably close to each other from game to game. Maybe they just sort of alter where the choice is physically located, but when you actually take out what I believe the draw of the game is, which is to say all the character interaction stuff along with, you know, all the zaniness of these things crossing over, you pretty much are left with a tactical strategy game with some really cool animations. And so you can kind of just watch the animations <laughs> online and get pretty much you know what you're going to get out of that game if you can't read the script, because so much of it is just what's going on. Yeah, I have to say with, of course, the, the Maso Kishin series dealing with their, some of their original characters, it's kind of like but I know they have the original generation games, which consists of all their original characters interacting. But this is like the first original character. He got his own universe and story. And this is the continuation of that story. Um, it's That's a little harder. Also, whoever's making it has upped the difficulty from typical Super Rot Wars games. Winkysoft is the making it for Van Presto. Um, they, they make some hard strategy games. These guys go right for your healers. <laughs> now, there are also the not... secret objectives that you have to be able to read Japanese in order to understand what you need to do to get your points because you have to get X many points to unlock your cool units or whatever later in the game, and there's no going there back. Probably are. There probably are some of those, and since it's shiny and new, there isn't really much in the way of FAQs about what to do to get certain things, and people are finding it by trial and error at this point. But eh, I'm a sucker for robots beating each other up. And I like my tactical strategy games, so it's a it's a happy marriage for me. All right. Well, that was Code. Nah, I think awesome. I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah. So, moving in the same order we started with, Daryl, what is your moment? Well, of awesome? now that the conventions are finally over, I can get to starting to attempt and, and feebly fail at making a dent at my video game backlog, not to say my real video game backlog, but just the ones that have accumulated within the past few weeks, because August has seen quite a number of releases of things come out. Uh, I've barely gotten a chance to scratch the surface of most of them, and so I said, all right, I'm going to pick one and just kind of go with it, and that is Saints Row 4. And so I've been playing through that. I'm actually, you know, 20-plus hours into the game, and it's definitely um, 
something that I, I enjoy because I played through the third game and kind of just 100% completed that one. And uh, if anyone's unfamiliar with these games, they're like um, how the old GTA games used to be in terms of spirit before they decided uh, that they were going to kind of deviate from that circa San Andreas. So Saints Row is all about just absolute carnage and mayhem and being as uh, ridiculous and insane as possible. And so Saints Row 3, kind of the third, I should say, ended on an extremely ludicrous note. And they said, well, there's only one logical step that we can take this thing. And uh, so in Saints Row 4, uh, you are indeed the president of the United States of America. And because you are the president, that gives you presidential superpowers to be able to, uh, to run around and, and cause chaos as, as you see fit. And, uh, you know, there's certainly an intense story with some shocking twists and turns that I dare not reveal. But uh, a lot of it is just really dedicated to just throwing in slams against other AAA games and 1980s nerd sci-fi movies. It's like those two, maybe with some degree of other nerd sci-fi movies as well. But um, I, I always wonder, like, how many people... I'm sure everyone playing it understands, like, okay, this is them making fun of Call of Duty. Okay, this is them making fun of Mass Effect. There's a lot of making fun of Mass Effect. This is them making fun of Metal Gear, etc., etc., etc. But, like, how many people realize, like, okay, this is Conan, or this is They Live, or, or what have you? Probably the intended audience. That's what I think. The intended audience yeah. is me. And, I think and so, the intended audience is, is, you know, guys between, what, 25 and 45, I think. I think it's specifically just me. <laughs> Okay, I was making They Live references. I'm gonna have to pick this up at some yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I don't want to get into it, you know, in terms of the details because I didn't want to know anything about this game before it came out. I mean, the only reason I even knew that you were the president was because that was the uh, saturation imagery was, you know, the presidential seal, uh, Saints Road up, and various uh, depictions of Americana thereabouts. So they they do in fact use more or less the same city as the third games, but so I kind of think of it as much like how going from Saints Row 2 uh, from Saints Row, they kind of just expanded out the detail of the city. Uh, when they switched over to a new engine in Saints Row the third, now part four is out, they've sort of expanded out the detail, but in a different way. It's Instead of making buildings more intricate and whatever, they've really upped the amount of vertical detail. And that's important because now that you're the president, it's sort of taken the logic of the O.J. Simpson Hertz rent-a-car commercials into play, where he says, you know what, I no longer have to run through the airport, I fly. And then he brings up the question, well, O.J., if you can fucking fly, why do you need to rent a car? And that's kind of the logic of Saints Row 4 as well. Now that you have all these incredible superpowers... Uh, you really don't need to be stealing cars and driving around vehicles anymore. You can uh, just sort of leap tall buildings in a single bound and run faster than the Flash to get to where you want to go. And uh, Sounds somewhat similar to that the really good DLC for the third, where you right superpowers. They, they in fact said, well, because you ended on this in this part, Saints Row is not a game about taking everything away. It's like, well, we gave you superpowers at the end of the third one. All right, you've got superpowers now. Let's go. Let's work with this, and so that's that's kind of where they go with it. And so you spend a lot of time, and the way that the game sets up its unlockables and such, it's to encourage you to traverse the city in this fashion, using your powers more than just being on the ground. And so there's um, 
just a huge amount of crazy unlockables and goofy ass missions uh, and what have you. But once again, much like the third one, if you just go through and do the side missions in the story, you'll 100% the game because it basically exists to walk you through all the little diversions. So if you were like me and we're like, oh, I'm just going to see this thing and do that and then do this and then I'll do a quest. Well, it's kind of uh, detrimental to do that because then when you come time to accept a character's quest, you'll see like four of the five things you have to do for the quest are already crossed out because you already did them. And that's, you know, some dialogue you miss out on, I suppose. But it's it's great. I mean, I like this game. I mean, um, I'm sure it's going to be eclipsed once Grand Theft Auto V comes out. And I, the more I look at GTA V, the more I think it's uh, stepping back to the classic form of uh, what made GTA great. I kind of lost a little bit of interest around the San Andreas uh, GTA Four time. But uh, if they just get the cars to drive like a video game car should drive, then that's all I need for GTA. What I'm really hoping... My my new standard of excellence for the the more quote unquote serious GTA is definitely now Sleeping Dogs. Absolutely, and Sleeping yeah. Dogs you could drive the friggin' car. Yeah. yeah, I like Sleeping Dogs. That was like a PSN. There was like a PlayStation Plus free, and I downloaded it and played like, it. It was I, cool. I ended up buying it twice. <laughs> I got on 360, and unfortunately, I've got a couple of weird motion sickness issues. And one of them is I can't drive cars on big screen TVs. Mm. Like a first person view or any view? Uh, first person view kills me no matter what I'm okay. doing. But with driving, even a third person, I have to do it on a smaller screen, like, say, my computer monitor. So I ended up, as soon as there was a Steam sale, I bought Sleeping Dogs all over again for my PC, which kind of works out because it looks so much better on my PC than it ever did on my 360. Mm. It's fascinating that Sleeping Dogs is so good, since that was originally going to be a true crime sequel. And true crime never really grabbed me. Oh, nah. I can kind of see that now that you say that. But yeah, yeah. Apparently well, that, that game the... had some pretty horrible development hell, and you know the, it was kind of a miracle that it ever got published, apparently. And, and uh, that it was but... as good as it ended up being, because normally a game with such troubled development would end up being just a terrible or mediocre game. Yeah. It w- I think it was really luck lucked out because a lot of the core guys apparently were a lot of guys worked on Bully and a lot of other ones worked on Need for Speed which I I think really shows through both in the fighting and the shooting as well as the driving. In the case of Saints Row, I mean that also had sort of a troubled development since the publisher went bankrupt, THQ and the game that was originally conceived to be an April Fool's joke then they said, you know what, let's make this an expansion pack to Saints Row 3 and then it became, well, let's just make this Saints Row 4. <laughs> and well, so, I, think, I think a lot of that was just, holy shit, we need to get we some need money, the money in. Right. And so let's just make this a whole game and get it out before GTA quickly. So It also makes sense because, you know, once November hits, we've got the Xbox One and the PS4. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next gen will be upon us. Yeah, people aren't going to be thinking about what game they're going to buy. They're going to be thinking about what system. So... So yeah, now is that would be would be the time to release something like Saints Row Four, and I, I think what they did was really smart. You know, they made sure that you know they they layered on just enough zaniness to to really warrant it being a sequel. It's it's got enough content to justify being a full sequel. I mean, the original Saints Row Three, it took you know at the rate I'm going, I'll have played when I beat this, I'll have played it for about as long as I played the third one. So it's not like 
they just sort of crapped out a sequel real quick and reused, you know, the assets as whatever. Um, they did what I believe is the reasonable amount of work to be a proper sequel to a game. Though some people are like, you know, oh, but it's the same map as before, and those people must not have remembered Saints Row 2 <laughs> going from Saints Row, because most, hardly anybody played the original Saints Row. Yeah, Saints Row like, wasn't that great, the original. Yeah, it took a little while for well, them to that- find their voice, or yeah. where they fit in relative to everything else. And once GTA went the direction they did, they said, well, we're just going to, you know, go more along this direction. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they carved out a spot. And it's working really well for them. So, Gerald, what's working really well for you? Oh, uh, well, let's see. Um, I guess I'm kind of behind in, uh, in this a bit. So, as with Daryl, I've been working on, you know, con stuff. So, I'm digging into my pile of, uh, of video games. And so I've only just within the past week or so been able to start Dragon's Crown. And uh, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot of recently. And uh, it's, you know, the least popular game on Tumblr, which I'm fine with. But uh, it is (laughs) possibly the best brawler that I've played since, hmm, in a really, really long time. Now, how good is that to solo, since I know there's AI that you can sort of recruit from the classes, but you can't customize their gear or uh, spec out their uh, level trees or anything like that? It's not too bad to solo. Uh, As long as you, you know, you can pull some AI in, it makes it a little bit more manageable. Um, I know you and I need to, you know, get some time together to, to play that thing through. Yeah, I actually only, I didn't really play beyond where we were, because I wasn't sure if you were resuming that or not. No, but yeah, I, only I mean, I like, only tried a little bit. Yeah, I only tried a little bit as well. So, but I, I'm enjoying the game greatly. I think I'm actually surprised at the depth that there is in the game because brawlers are typically not very, uh, uh, typically are, are known for not being very deep. That's that's oftentimes why you don't see people who own like any of the brawler arcade games. Um, but this one was done by uh, one of the guys who originally worked on the uh, D&D Capcom games. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I that's could, correct. Yeah. That's It's basically the spiritual successor to, um, you know, Tower of Doom and Shadow over Mistara. Yeah, I can was, see that. You know, those arcade probably, brawlers. Those are probably the most in-depth arcade brawlers that, you know, were ever made. And, and uh, part of the reason why brawlers were so, you know, relatively l- lacking or, you know, not too deep, is because they were originally arcade games, quarter munchers. And that doesn't exist anymore. So a lot of that genre sort of faded away between the fact that uh, they were primarily 2D side-scrollers, and as part of when games went to 3D and there was that, you know, drive from up on high that you can't make 2D games anymore, the brawler, once it transitioned over into that 3D third-person-behind-the-back sort of view... Uh, didn't really thrive so much. They tried to do a new Final Fight, they tried to bring out things like the Bouncer and Fighting Force and whatever, and these didn't really catch on no. with people. Those were all pretty bad, because they were all done in the spirit of the arcade games, and uh, which just weren't that good. Um, I, don't well, know, I would which... say the, the, the 3D Final Fight wasn't done in the spirit of anything. <laughs> No, it was done in the spirit of let's try to make this 3D game thing. It's gonna be good. Okay, it was a thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's still happening today. I mean, Castlevania. That same thing just happened to that, and now the same people who made that are threatening. You know, we really need to 
modernized, quote, Contra to make it like every other game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we had a really good Contra with Contra 4. Contra 4, we oh. had Shattered Soldier. You know, even Neo Contra, which was a little different, was still, I feel, in the spirit of things. I think, and, and, and it's, was even it's only a, been within the last couple of years, I think. Hardcore that, Uprising, you know. Yeah, the, yeah that's what I was thinking that Contra of. has kind of figured out oh, yeah. really where, what it wants to be, which is just, you know, utterly ridiculous shooting. Like, you know, let's have a scene of, like, guys running up and down wildly and then, you know, zoom the camera out and, oh, they're on top of a helicopter and just jumping on the blades. And that's, you know, a level. <laughs> I like it because yeah. what's yeah. everyone's memory of Contra being exceptional? It's Contra 3. That's like the baseline. I mean, I certainly played the first two. Yeah. And uh, to see that games are sort of going away from that is sort of distressing. So I'm really glad that Dragon's Crown, which is very, like, unapologetically um, side-scrolling, beat em up even though there's multiple characters with multiple uh, different ways you can spec them out as far as abilities that kind of drastically alter how they actually play. And so it's got a lot of replayability to it. Yeah. And plus it's got the branching like the D&D games did. Plus it's got, you know, the loot and getting cool weapons and upgrading everything. So it's it's definitely something that, you know, I want to put my time into, but I'm just sort of concerned, like, how much fun is this if you don't have other players? I can see that. I think there there is sort of a... I, I kind of worry for the for the game just because it also released on the same day as same day as Tales of Zillia. And it seems like all the your, anime people or the people who would likely buy Dragon's Crown because it does have that artwork that makes a certain large percentage of the population who play games just not even bother. Uh, so the same group of people who would potentially buy Dragon's Crown, would potentially buy Tales of Zillia. And from what I see, a lot of people pick Tales. I, I got both, yeah, actually. I picked Tales. I, yeah, I, I think you would make actually. more money than most people. Maybe I'm just... Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm eating worse than most people. But, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I mean, I, I love the Tales of games. And so, even, you know, although I acknowledge all of their shortcomings. But... Uh, yeah, that's probably going to. I'll probably get to that after Dragon's Crown. Yeah, my goal actually is to. My issue is that I really want to play Dragon's Crown on the Vita, but I'm like one of the few people I know that own a Vita. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really hoping that you know, with the advent of like cross play and cross buy, that I could get my Vita and play with PS3 people, but that's not the case. I can transfer saves, but I can't play with. That's that seems you know pretty terrible. Like uh, I don't know the Vita in general. There was actually a, a sale on, or there is going to be a sale on for Walmart where they were selling the Vita with a bunch of stuff for like two hundred bucks. And I was looking at this and I was like, what games are on the Vita that aren't a port or a remake of another game? And there was, you know, that Gravity Wells game or whatever, and Gravity, Gravity Rush, Rush yeah. which is good. And that's excellent, by the way, but yeah. It's excellent, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't seem like a system seller to me. And what else? There's a new Ease game coming out, and that's all I cared about. <laughs> <laughs> that is all I cared about. I am a total sucker, wannabe Christian nut for that series. And I, I I'll play Ease however I can get it, and if it's 
on Vita, I decided I would, well, several friends pulled money together for my birthday and that last year, and that's how I got a Vita, but wow, it's it's already been out past a year. That's yeah. Crazy. Well, I have a Vita, but yeah, that's mostly Gravity Rush, and uh, Persona 4 Golden is actually really, really good, even though it's a port. It's yeah, I mean, uh, the definitive I mean, version. I don't doubt that the ports are good, but I also feel like, you know, if I'm buying a system, it shouldn't just be for emulation, it shouldn't yeah. just be for ports, it shouldn't be for remakes, I want original stuff on it. No, that totally makes sense. For me, I play portables way more than I play anything else. Okay. Um, because I, I can play it on my lunch break. I can play it right before in my bed, right before going to sleep. Um, and sometimes I'll just hang out at my house, even though I'll have a TV and everything. I'll just, I still, for whatever reason, because I guess I've been playing portables, you know, since the Game Boy. I will, I am just as happy playing my Vita or 3DS as I am playing anything else. Hmm. Uh, yeah, cause I'm trying to remember. Trying to remember that dungeon crawler RPG that's coming out for Vita. That uh, it was announced same time that the Dangan Ropa game was uh, announced, and I don't remember the title, but I was kind of up for that because I love dungeon crawlers. It's, I like wizardy style dungeon crawlers. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of like original games on there, and like there's a lot of indie stuff on the Vita, but there's not as much like bigger games on it, unfortunately. Well, even in Japan, they're still making PSP games. Yeah. There's still new PSP games the coming Vita's out. The Vita's definitely well, hey. impressive hardware, and I kind of feel like, oh, I, I do want to own one at some point, but there just there just is not the library, because most of the games that are on the Vita, it's the same problem that I had with the PSP. They're available on other platforms that I already own, or the games that are, quote, exclusive to the system are effectively just stripped-down versions of a home console game. Like, the Vita will have their version of Uncharted, or their God of War, or their Assassin's Creed, or what have you. And, and then that'll get re-released on, on the PS3 or something, so... Probably, you know. Yeah. And their indie selection, well, all that stuff is multi-platform, and so, you know, it kind of wipes away most of that selection. And so when I think about it, there, there may be, you know, the amount of games on the PSP that are exclusive to the PSP that aren't, like, replicable elsewhere... Right now, it's still a very low number, and the system's been out for a little while. The 3DS was in a similar position not too long ago, but hey, there's now enough games to warrant getting a 3DS, and I bought it, and I like that purchase. I just, because I don't really have a commute where I you know, can't look down, uh, or I can look down, I should say, I haven't really played too many of my portable things, but that was true for my DS as well. Yeah, I'm playing uh, Project Cross Zone on there and loving it, but yeah, because I don't live in a... Co- like commuter city and uh, like all my friends in New York who have like hour long commutes and just sit on the train and then you know get through portables really fast I the only time I play is literally like when I'm in a plane flight or I don't know like that's that's because I don't have long lunch breaks I don't have time between classes anymore it's a uh, it's a very very limited amount of time that I get to play portables yeah, like I said, I, I'm I am very weird in that I can play portables just as easily as playing regular home console releases. Um, also, I tend to watch TV shows while I grind in role-playing games. So, there's also that. Yeah. I, you know, I do have 
I do get like an hour long lunch break at work and a couple of breaks during the 15 minute break. So I, I do, I play a lot at work. And if it's a new, shiny new game, I'll probably play a lot of it at home. But one thing we did not get a lot of breaks because we all pushed ourselves crazy, silly, was at this anime con they call it. Which Otacon. happens to be the number one usage for my 3DS to date. Oh, yeah. Wow. I but, racked up so many street packs. But for entirely different reasons, but we'll, we'll get into that soon. When we come back, we'll talk about Otakon, the one of the biggest conventions around. Baltimore, just shot somewhere between thirty-four and thirty-five thousand people. It was big. Yep, I I guess that was their largest number yet, and and the numbers are growing so rapidly that uh, they made some big announcements related to that. They did, which we'll cover that part at the end mm-hmm. because that's since that's the the end part is where does Otakon go next. Um, but Otakon, um, the convention of otaku generation, happened August 9th through 11th, 2013, the Baltimore Convention Center in Baltimore, Maryland, United States of America. It was, it's, it's, nothing else quite is this like Otakon, at least for us. It's certainly the biggest anime convention I go to, just because, you know, AX and Japan Expo in France are just too prohibitively expensive to get to, and I can't write them off as a business expense. So, uh, yep, it's the biggest one for me. And, you know, which it is is nice, because, you know, after going to a bunch of smaller cons, and of course I say smaller, where Otakon and and MTAC both broke 10K this year. Uh, But, you know helping run, like, a 2,000-person convention <laughs> and, you know, going to a couple of other small cons to, like, you know, pretty big cons to suddenly going to a 30K-plus con is... Yeah, Otakon is big. In a lot of ways, I'm more comfortable with kind of the smaller conventions where you know most of the people there, and <laughs> it's... But, uh... But it's it's definitely, like, it ex- it's an experience par none because... Otakon, because they're so big, they can afford things other cons can't. This is true. You know, this year we got Yoko Kano. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, well, well, you know, you start off at, at, the, at the height there, but any of the other musical guests they had would probably be, uh, they would be like the major guest any other year. Yeah. Well, yeah, like like they had Tea and Revolution. I mean, that's that's not chump yeah. change. Shiaki Ishikawa was Yoko Kano's opener. She could probably she could have done a concert on her own. Yeah, you know, and the their Japanese guests also were um, brain work. Uh, Mariyama, uh, uh, Tomokazu Seki. Yeah, you know, Shinichiro hey, Watanabe, who again yeah. is like 
he would have been like the major guest, like the director of Cowboy Bebop is coming to this convention. And not only that, he's announcing something new. Like, so, yeah, like, you know, you just can't get that at any other con except for maybe something like AX. I mean, this, yeah, this, America. yeah, Otakon had a bunch of excellent Japanese guests. Although I hear an amazement gets a lot of Japanese guests, yeah, but ah, we're not talking. Programming just isn't what on the level. It isn't even comparable to how good Otakon's programming is. Like an amazement, you know, they can be like, "Look, we've got our cool guests, and uh, they're coming to the con. You guys get nothing else, <laughs> pretty much." They can kind of just bank on that. Otakon doesn't, uh, you know, they they go even above and beyond all that. I mean, it's, that's the difference. I feel. Like, well, yeah, I mean, Otakon, everything they do is 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 big. Like, when I, I remember looking at the Convergence panel and looking around and realizing this panel room is one-fourth the size of my entire convention that I help run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was one, that, that wasn't even, I mean, that was a larger panel room. It wasn't their biggest, but it still seated, you know, several hundred people. Yeah, like it is, it is absolutely you know, gargantuan, in in some cases, and it's a lot of fun. It's you know, it's Artist Alley and Dealer's Room are both mammoth. Yeah, Otakon is one of those conventions where uh, you are always missing something good, but not because you're not doing something. It's because you're at something else that's good. So, it's it's a matter of just you know having to deal with missing something that you want to see. Yeah, and there is and there is plenty to see and do. I mean, there's like several several panels going on at all times. And a lot of them are all really good panels. What did you guys do for in your opinion, like what what did you spend most of your time doing at this con? Uh, mostly it was going to panels. Um, and then resting between, like, trying to hit, like, several panels in a row. I think I hit the dealer's room once. Yeah, I think we went once. Once. Yeah, I was the same way. I only really made it to the dealer's room for, like, 20 minutes on, like, a day or so. Uh, Especially, like, the other things, like, uh, Game Room and Artist Alley and such. I was barely in any of them. Like, at a normal convention. Uh... Basically, my mentality is I look at the schedule because I'm one of those people who actually looks at the schedule. And if there's something I want to do, I go to that. And then if there's nothing particularly going on, that's when I think, oh, well, this might be a good time to check the dealer's room or the artist alley or the video game room. Or, hey, maybe now I could get something to eat. At Otakon, there's kind of a nonstop series of things you want to do. And then a lot of them are scheduled opposite other things you want to do, such you have to actually choose something. And then at any given time when it's like, well, let me check this out. Now you actually have to figure out like, well, what do I miss? And on top of that, throughout uh, the entire weekend, on top of that, uh, Daryl and I, we were pressed there. And so we had, uh, we had uh, interviews to get to. And on top of all the, you know, the panels we were doing and the panels we wanted to go see, so, you know, it's double duty. Yeah, that's... We went as press as well, only we didn't do any interviews. 
because we thought, well, we're we're just the awesome cast. We did went, you apply and just didn't get accepted for any? No, I didn't apply. I didn't think I was worth applying, and then I found out everyone else was getting interviewed. So I'm like, dang it, I should apply. So what did you go as press for? Um, just pretty much to cover the convention, but which uh, is what we're doing now. So I guess you didn't really actually have to apply as press then to do that, right? Like, well, no, we still had to apply to do press. But I mean, like, like to like for press only things. I mean, like there wasn't anything you took advantage of. Well, we took it, we occasionally did take advantages of our badges to get to everything. Okay. We got to. Because there's yeah. a lot of times where, you know, I want to go look at this panel. Well, the panel I went to is like immediately after that panel. But that room is already starting to fill up and I wouldn't have gotten in. And Otakon has a huge like line culture where, you know, if you're in a panel and then the next thing starts, well, joke's on you because a line for that thing started an hour ago while you were sitting down watching the other thing and so if you didn't have the press badge there's a chance you couldn't even have gotten in yeah and so it's a case of i can go to like three panels instead of saying going to one Mm. um i've also learned like i've had actually the uh similar issues with awa where there'll be times where I'll want to get to panels, um, and even in way, actually, there's many times where I can't get into panels. In that case, even when you're pressed, they don't let you in. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's just a fire code thing at that point. Right. But, no, next year, I think, if we get to go, which I'm hoping we do, I'm definitely applying for interviews. After seeing that, no, even, yes, Basil, even you, even your podcast can get an interview, I was like, well, then I need to do that. Yeah, I just I need, to, I need to take that yeah. chance. Yeah. Fair warning: like who you apply for is not necessarily who you will get. But uh, and you have to you have to take who they give you, and you have to do a good job with it, and you have to do some research. Like, which is fine. Um, one of the highlights of was of MTAC was we got to interview uh, Naoyazawa, who did Wedding Peach. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that was like. That was an amazing experience. Yeah, I kind of went from, I don't know, I'm not that big fan to, wow, I like this lady. I want to know more about what she does <laughs> by the time it was over. Yeah, we never applied for uh, Kaoru Kurosaki, but uh, we got an interview with her, and I'm glad we did because she was a great interview, and she was very interesting, and uh, got to ask her about you know working with her husband, who does Roroni Kenshin, and uh, you know his, his love of American comic books and you know things like that. I actually wonder how those work out. Like, I feel like the way they do it is they see all the requests, and the requests are usually disproportionately for their bigger name guests. And then those bigger name guests pick, like, a percentage of the applicants to grant interviews there. And then there might maybe there's the rest of the people who didn't have quite so many interviews, and then they say, okay, well who are some other groups that either didn't get something or what have you. And then they just sort of assign people based on that. Like I'm com- it's completely opaque, like how those other things are picked. But you know, each year for sure we have to interview somebody who we really don't know a whole lot about. And sometimes they turn out well. And sometimes, you know, they, they just kind of happen. But for the most part, we've been lucky. We've pretty much gotten like surprisingly good interviews out of people. Yeah. Uh, it 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 helps if the person you're interviewing is willing to chat a little bit and willing to open up and uh that can vary from Japanese guest to Japanese guest so 
Yeah, I always Although, find that the harder thing to deal with is never the guests themselves. It's their entourage, their posse, the people who are handling their schedule for them. Yeah, the guests are usually great. It's the, the entourage that make things difficult. But some, some would argue that they are good, great guests because the entourage put up with all the shit. But uh, who knows? But, yeah, Otakon, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Tell us what you guys did. Like, start, it, start at the beginning, maybe. It's just because uh, we got to get some... Well, we, we, uh, we drove there. Drove there from, Dro- drove there from Alabama. Alabama to Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, so about 12 hours. You know, losing an hour, of course, because of, you know, time zones. And that's... I, uh, I split the driving with uh, our editor, Anna... And we left at like 3 a.m. in the morning, grabbed Kevin, and got there around 5 or 6. How did you decide, let's leave at 3 in the morning to start going there? Probably work backwards from where you want to arrive, like we do with AWA? Yes. Yeah, we want to be there where we could get our badges and whatnot. No, that's why so we you didn't leave think it's... in terms of like who is alert and capable of driving at 3 a.m.? No, not really. Now, once we decided to leave at 3 a.m., we, I, I made sure that uh, I got some sleep so I could start driving at 3 a.m. Well, I did plan for the fact that I knew that I was driving at 3 a.m., so I knew to get enough sleep so I could drive at 3 a.m. And the you know, requisite amount of like energy drinks to keep me going anyways. Yeah, I know the our trip to AWA is always kind of a killer because we have to leave it. Uh, like six or so, because we try our best to avoid the Atlanta five p.m. or four, like four to five p.m. traffic. Right. And so you either arrive before four or after six. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And, and this one, and we made we made pretty good time. Um, you know, because you know, got taking you know, gas breaks and food breaks and. Did you what find any, happened? like, unique, exceptional parts of America as part of those breaks? Um, on our return trip, we did, because we got caught by a gigantic pileup that Sunday, and we lost, like, four hours in, in the ensuing trying to get around it. And so we decided to stay the night in Virginia, and we headed back on Monday and while we were doing that, I we stopped by a vineyard in Tennessee, which was really neat. It's always on the trip back that the interesting stuff happens. I know that that's the case with us too. We always, uh, I mean, we always find that you know every single rest stop in Georgia is terrifying. <laughs> I don't know why that is, or we just have some weird luck and always get like the really weird stops, but uh, they're always strange. But yeah, so aside and aside from the pileup, you know, the drive home was fine too. Although it was a little harder just because we left at like the afternoon on Sunday instead of like early in the morning. But there was no way we were going to miss that concert. So anyways, we got there and you know, we got our badges. And then no one said, "Hey Basil, there's this burger place you should go to." Oh, I'm just yeah. Saying. <laughs> so but that's okay, because I hear it was a terrible walk, and I'm a fat man, so it's probably 
all the best that I didn't go, but tell me about this amazing burger place. It was the exact Don't same I- place that we went the year before, and so Gerald and I, we were kind of thinking, let's find another place, but, um, you know, Sergeant you know, Narutaki and her Harlan Commandos from New York, you know, they all do exactly what she says because they're all spineless. And so she's like, more burgers, guys. Yeah, so next, like, year okay, we are, fine. next year we are fucking doing something different. I don't care what it is. Like, we're, but we're in, you know, a city that's got a lot of interesting food. And uh, so we, we, next year it's got to be something different. Well, you, you let me know. Because I'm hoping to go. I've got my days in booked already. Uh, I'm planning to show up. So I, I want to go to this tiramisu place. Like the, the this guy invented the tiramisu, and he lives in Baltimore and has a uh, a bakery there. And before it moves to fucking well, you know where what we will get to later. Before the convention moves, I want to get to this place. The only, I think the reason why people were hesitant about that is because it's like, if they only served baked goods, it's like maybe for dessert you'd stop there. No one but wants to also, go even for that. Like, I am the, literally the only person who is willing to, to do this. I think I also don't uh, particularly like tiramisu. They <laughs> have lots of other baked is. goods. They, That's it's what I figured. Like, it's not like the, the tiramisu palace or something. I thought it was like, you know, the equivalent of In-N-Out only for tiramisu. Right, no. It's there's there's other stuff there. It's just a matter of actually going there. And as we'll learn later, I'm willing to try anything once. Or twice. Or so, twice maybe. Twice. But the uh the first panel we actually got to was on Friday. Of course, you know when the panel started. But that was we con, therefore we are fandom convergence and a critical look at the modern otaku. Did uh, it live up to man, that title? I think so, mostly, yeah. Um, it is one heck of a title. It's not even the longest title at the con. Which is pretty impressive. Because that's a pretty long title. Do, do you, by chance, before we get into this one, do you know the longest title? Yeah, it was the, it was the Zelda guy. Uh, oh, God. Same guy from Anime Boston who... All he did were video game panels at Anime Boston. All he did at Otakon are video game panels. And he says, like, his title is always, like, he thinks in his head it's, like, some tribute to Dr. Strangelove or Rocky and Bullwinkle or whatever, but in fact, they're all just very long and very obnoxious, and, like, there's no good reason to have this in the schedule, like, taking up, like, two or three lines, uh, because no one is going to know because your title is too freaking long, but uh, he doesn't seem to get that, because I called him out on this online, and he's like, oh... Maybe some people don't like it, but I'll keep doing, you know, whatever. All right, anyway. Uh, let me go read this title right now. I'm going to find it. Okay. Are you ready for this? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding. All right. I'm holding it. Let's, let's see what we got. Okay. The Legend of Zelda. Or, How I Learned to Love Majora's Mask and Reject Skyward Sword as the... And it cuts off because now I have to actually read the full title. <laughs> or, How I Learned to Love Majora's Mask and Reject Skyward Swords as the Demise of the Series. One, your title is, like, not, like, telling the truth as far as, you know, what's the demise of the series. And two, I, I don't know if it's grammatically even correct. Um, but anyway, that was the name of the title. It was a Zelda panel! Just 
do a Zelda panel, man. And then, like, at Anime Boston, he just had, like, a series of other things, like, you know, one thing was called The Walking Dead, or How I Learned to Aim for the Head Something Something, and I'm like, do you not realize, dude, that if you name your panel The Walking Dead colon something, that there's a show and a comic that's really popular, it's called The Walking Dead, and people aren't going to know <laughs> until you walk in that your panel's actually about games with zombies in them in general, as opposed to this specific thing, and... I don't know if you, that really made it through to this dude. But anyway. Uh, I think we just, should call our greatest anime openings panel something obnoxiously long. Just I don't like that. But anyway, <laughs> this, this panel here, uh, I was on this panel um, not really knowing what it was going to be about until I got there and until it started. But basically it was about um, the observation that the conventions, the anime conventions that we know, have been changing over the last few years. They've been encompassing multi-genres and multiple, you know, fan quote disciplines and what is the cause of this and what does that mean going forward? Is this good? Is this bad? Etc. Etc. And so there were three people on there. There was uh, Charles Dunbar, who is like the main guy behind it, Doug Wilder, who is uh, from AnimeCons.com, and me. And so I was kind of there to be the hater. And you presented yourself very well for being the hater. I, well, the thing is, I was totally outgunned on this one, I felt. Like, I felt like I wasn't entirely sure. Like, I, I'm not going to hijack another person's panel. I'm going to try and keep it, like, on task, so to speak. But, I mean, the whole thing was built around Henry Jenkins and Convergence Theory, which was not originally put forth to apply to conventions or anything like that. And so the whole premise of it was, hey, can we apply this to cons? And so Charles put together this very, like, you know, th this argument that's very elaborate, but it's based entirely on acceptance of not just one, but a few things that may or may not actually be true. So it's if you were to agree with, like, the base, you know, proposition that he put forth, which I do not necessarily, and then also this, then you get some pretty fascinating, you know, analysis out of that. It's pretty typical, like, um, academic sort of, uh, sort of theorizing, which is, you know, if you, if you make, you know, this set of assumptions about this, then my theory that I constructed fits. And as long as you accept these assumptions. Um, and well, I also know, notice that uh, Mr. Charles Dunbar, he's very good at evangelizing his point. Like, he does he does a real good job of getting the crowd riled up for what he wants to do because his, more or less, his side of it is, yes, multiple fandoms, isn't this awesome? Well, well it no. is. I mean, it just depends on what the scale of how you're looking at things is. I mean, I, I won't right. deny that he's exceptionally good at presenting and lecturing and giving topics that engage the crowd and keep them interested. That's why he's such a, you know, desired speaker and presenter, not just at Otakon, but throughout the Northeast. And if you're a desired speaker and presenter throughout the Northeast, well, then you're in pretty much several of the largest conventions in the country. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he gets way more people in his panels than I get in mine. So if, if there is a game to be played by, you know, number of people attending your panel, he wins um, 100%. And, you know, so, I mean, I was just sort of there to say, well, it's true that 
the multidiscipline fandoms are coming into anime conventions. I just don't know if the theory is true, because if the theory really was true, then anime would be having a significant presence at the other conventions. And as anyone who's gone to Comic-Cons or what have you can attest, that just isn't the case. I, I sort of tied this into the fact that it's purely, well, not purely, but primarily driven by money, and the fact that the things that are invading anime space... Yeah, it's true they have a geek following, but what's also true is that they have a multi-million dollar advertising following, that they're things that are, like, on primetime television or, you know, big Hollywood box office smashes that are, like, the top films in the world. And anime, by comparison, is this niche interest that can't compete on that level. And so maybe anime is not really on equal ground with all these other things, like your Doctor Who's and your My Little Ponies and you know, your webcomics of uh, particular popularity and what have you just going down the line. And well, I kind of feel okay. that anime should be a little protected, but it's Otakon. And so this panel probably would have been better to have been done at a, a different con than Otakon because the way Otakon's set up... They stick the, to the anime side. Or, yeah, or, the people yeah. who are on staff are very devout as far as making sure that they maintain a level of being on task and it's a level that you don't typically see reflected down throughout most of the cons throughout the country. Most cons that are run by staffers, it kind of will be like, well, whatever sells the tickets. And over time, the people who staff the cons stop really understanding what the newer anime is all about. And so they're more than happy to bring in something that they're more interested in like the comic books or, you know, the American animation or what have you, whatever happens to have caught their fancy since. Or if it's going to be about anime, it's going to be about anime that they remember. Like there was a convention just a weekend ago where one of the big events there was a Wizard of Oz and Big O mashup thing of sorts. And I thought it was the Matrix and the Big O. Or, yeah, the Matrix and the Big O. Like So, you know, these people haven't really watched anime since Cartoon Network weekdays on Toonami, which is now coming up on 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. Well, something I also noticed, especially at the panel, was, you know, when he was doing his list of things, you did see things like Doctor Who and Harry Potter, Milo Pony, whatever, and then anime. And I think that's, that's something to be said where you're, you're looking at an art form and then a bunch of individual shows. Or franchises. Well, that's what anime's problem has always been, is, uh, like, <laughs> the, the My Little Pony convention, you know, every single person there is on the same... Is on, They've all seen know, the exact same show. Yeah, they all are right. there, they're all on the same level right away, but the anime convention, there's not a single show you can say everybody has seen. Right. And so that effectively, you know, you know, separates everybody right away. It's a, it's a similar issue to where people consider, you know, anime a genre and not like, you know, a medium. Right. Well, it's just uncommon for there to be medium-related conventions other than right. anime. Like in, well, yeah, because even things like sci-fi cons are sci-fi cons. They're not, you know, live-action, you know, film cons. Well, and that, that you know, is, you know, further going to be taken because there's literary sci-fi cons, which are painful things to go True. to. And then there's... Yes, we have one. <laughs> yeah, we... we... Shut up. We don't shoot. Shut up, Kevin. <laughs> there, there is one in our general area. 
<laughs> it's ran by very nice people. It is. I've been a couple times. It's pretty good. They used to run their room. anime room. They allowed an anime room there. Well, did they? Well, you said used to, and there's a story behind why that's used to, and it's a story that's been repeated time and again throughout the ages. And I think you'll probably find that you know you probably ran into some resistance running anime rooms at that con, and eventually some, the people running, but you guys maybe. Uh, decided it wasn't worth the effort. Is that accurate, or am I totally off base? You're not completely wrong. Uh, we, when we first started it, we actually had to pay for the room yeah, exactly. ourselves. Exactly. Um, to, but now that said, once we did it the first time, they paid for it ever it's, since. It's, it's, you know, either way, it's more like one of these things where it's like, dude, we're coming to you, and we want to help you, and you guys won't even give us the resources that we need. You won't even give us a room. You know, so a lot of places, they won't even give you badges. Uh, for your work, and it's just, you know, anime is a lot more welcoming than yeah. uh, the other way around. I mean, we've got, I our, will say, we've got our Megacon convention here, which is our big, you know, genre convention, and the anime, those guys have to get their own room off to the side, and they pull in, you know, hundreds of people that go to Megacon as well, but I I don't think they get any breaks. And I will say, though, at least for, in defense, when we did our literary sci-fi con, I could have as much food as I wanted out of the suite. Unlike, like unlike me. <laughs> right. Like, and it was really interesting because um, this con's called Constellation. It's still going on. It's like, it's a permanent, like, 200, 300 people. Oh, yeah, pool. those things never die. Like, and they used to be a booze con, but then liquor laws changed in Alabama, and so they converted all the booze to just food. So, man, it has, like, the best con suite of any con ever. Because it's all real food all the time. I'm amazed that they could keep people coming. Because a lot of those conventions, for, for a lot of that, it's like, this is the con- this is the weekend where I get pissed drunk. Well, no, this is, well, that can still happen just like, you know, in private room parties. Mm-hmm. But it's like the same 200, 300 people every year. And that, that's like, how those the, conventions... The hasn't changed. Yeah, that's how I've, se- I've seen, at least in my experience with, like, literary sci-fi stuff, that's... They've got the same several hundred people. They get older and older every year. They get angrier and angrier every year. There has to be a balance. It can't be a binary. You either have the the same people, like only these people read this stuff, or you expand out to be like, you know, totally not like related whatsoever. They're like in a perfect world. Why isn't there just more people reading the same book or more people watching anime? And I sort of touched on this in the panel is to say, well, who, how did people become anime fans? Well, those windows are now closed because how much anime is on TV now right. in a time slot where people who haven't seen anime before, who aren't already fans, are going to tune in and see it? And the answer is not a whole lot, if any. And that's, again, another disadvantage that anime has got that hey, maybe Adventure Time doesn't have to worry about that because it's on when the anime used to be on at the same time on the same channels. But anyway, that was just the one panel. I don't want to get too <laughs> much into it. But the next panel we went to um, was Outsider Anime by, you know, the venerable Mike Tool, where he was taking, like, you know, um, uh, like, out, when we, but he means by Outsider Anime is anime by, made by, quote, unquote, Outsiders people you don't normally see anime from, these uh, lo- like almost like art project anime shorts that you never really see. Right, I mean, he admitted that uh, 
by the definition of outsider art, there's only one thing he showed that fit that definition, uh, because all the others were still within the art world. Um, but it was an excellent panel still. I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, he is, he is definitely like, Mike Tool is one of like the, like, one of the best panelists I've ever seen at work. Cause he just, his ability to find things is just amazing. Well, he will go out of his way and research this stuff for quite a long time and call people and email people and get those connections that uh, are very hard to get sometimes. But it was it was a super lot of fun, and there was oh, like the one that was. There were several that were just like almost just mood pieces, that really had no narrative or form of substance. It was just stuff was happening, and you're like, well, this is pleasing to my eyeballs, but I don't know what I'm what's going on. And of course, there were some that were, you know, what, what, you know, that did have like narratives and stuff, and it also just let you see neat little things, like the one where you know the girl's flying through the air because she got rejected, and that was not cool mm-hmm. by her. Oh, that's a great one. And it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really enjoyable. It was really neat. You know, it's one of those. It was, it was a panel that definitely, you know, expanded one's mind as to, you know, again, anime is a medium. It's an art form. Anything can happen in it, and it really was a great example of anything can happen in it. Our next one that we went to was uh, the uh, the uh, first uh, Tomosaku Seki. Ugh, cannot talk today. Q and A. Now, how did this that, go? Because we missed it entirely, and I had uh, wanted to see this dude just because he's generally a pretty awesome, you know, voice actor. And so how how was it? I mean, I'm sure the place was filled to capacity, even though he's a Japanese guest. Yeah, it was pretty filled. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was not quite capacity, but there was there was no it, the room was definitely not empty. Like it was over. It was like at least three fourths full. And the line of people was, of course, forever. And it was not too dissimilar to the, several of the kind of questions you would get asked. For an English voice actor, an American voice actor, you a lot of, can you say this line? Hey, how do you do it? How can I be like you? Ugh, those painful questions. But, man, this he was the best at it. Yeah, I, he I, heard, the best. I heard that he was fantastic with doing that stuff. Oh, like, yeah, he he never missed a beat anywhere, ever. No, and, yeah, of course. He, and he, like, he opened with the God Gundam, God Finger speech. And, you know, it's uh, like the fact that he remembers all these things just immediately. I just think it's fascinating and just indicative of how times have changed that the main thing that Tomokazu Seki, of all people, was remembered for in 2013 is G Gundam, when G Gundam used to be like anathema to American fans. I think it's just by virtue of the fact that when you think of the time that it's that it's been since that was on TV, it's been about a decade. And so, you know, the, the peak of pop culture is age 12. Whatever you see when you're age 12 or thereabouts, it more or less, is your, your peak. And so a lot of those people now are in their late teens to early 20s, and that's like their childhood. That is, like, this huge thing for them. I mean, I'm, the, the world has turned around to, you know, my point of view on that. But, I mean, it's just, you know, when you look at that man's resume, 
of all the big shows that he's been involved on and all the parts that he's had that uh, I'm kind of glad that he's got some recognition for that one now. And I, yeah, there was a lot. Although there was one person who really liked Isaac Jewell from Gundam Seed. Well, Isaac <laughs> is a cool major. character. It's just, you know, yeah. and, and Seed, it's, was, that was a huge show from 10 years ago. It's just, you know, as, as bad as that sequel was, I don't want to talk about it. It's just, that was, that was still, you know, even more popular yeah. somehow. It's just uh, around here, maybe less so. But yeah, I mean, he I, was a major character in Gundam Seed, and the fact that, you know, only one person was there to remember him for that is kind of telling. But, I, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, and he remembered, he occasionally needed a little context, but yeah, he remembered all these lines and places and characters, and he went, he could go from one to the other real easily. And there was one where, what was it, the uh, the Sentai? Oh, yeah, because, uh, the uh, Gokaiger. He was the transformation gadget voice for that, for Gokaiger. And he would make them, and if they wanted them him to say something, they had to do the pose. They had to do the pose and shout, Gokai change, and then he would say whatever they wanted him to say. <laughs> oh, very good. And, you know, and he was very, he's just very good at doing screaming roles. And someone finally asked him, well, how do you do it? And the response is, well, I smoke. I smoke a lot. <laughs> That's not how you're supposed to do it, but I smoke a lot. And eventually someone asked him, well, how can I be like you? You know, they're the equivalent question. And his response was, yeah, smoke a lot. <laughs> That's how you'll do it. Just just smoke a lot of, you know, smoke a lot of cigarettes and tobacco. And, and obviously that and it'll come. I wish I could have been there for what I, I heard happened, which was someone asked him about Vice Kreuz. Oh, yeah. And he said, oh, God, that sucked. Or something. Essentially. Uh, that's maybe, you know, in his own particular Japanese idiom, but yes, it was, he, uh, very much did not like the, uh, weird kind of enforced pop idol status <laughs> he had to deal with as that. And that he was not, he didn't feel he was suited to being an idol. Mm. But the way he handled all the questions with like, with, with seriously like grace, like he was just really, really just friendly to all the convention goers. Like I was really just impressed at this guy. And I remember leaving, going like leaving that panel, going thinking after he did his own like character song, because someone came up as the final question was like, "Can you sing along with with this YouTube rip of your song you did once in this thing I liked?" And he tries to. He goes, "Can I just do a song I already know?" And they're like, "Sure." And then he bursts right into it, like the full song, serenading the whole crowd. Acapella. You know, acapella on pitch and that was the end and as we're leaving i'm like wow is this what it feels to be a vic fan <laughs> it is. is this it that, that's <laughs> like this, the experience like is this is this why people like vic manana i guess it is wow i guess the difference between tomokazu seki and vic manana is that tomokazu seki has multiple major roles that he's you know done, you know, even up till now, whereas the and last major has, role that Vic Mignogna had, you know, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood ended a couple of years ago at this point. Hey, he was the main character in Level League. That's true. true. And only I care, but he was the main character in uh, Level League. You know, League. Tomo also has a soul, so that's that's a different too. Hey, Vic, Vic Mignogna's got an eternal soul that Jesus loves, and he'll tell you all about it Sunday morning when you come to reflect. <laughs> Oh, 
So you did go to like, see Vic Mignogna at this con, is what you're saying? Because he was no, there. no. <laughs> like I, I see no reason to when I can just now go listen pretty soon on the A and N cast with, with Vic and all the questions they're going to be asking him. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I think I, I'll get all the Vic I'll need out of that. Vic is a guest at Hamacon. That's a good question. We we keep putting it off every year. Well, most of <laughs> you know, guy, right? Um, I guess, but we don't honestly get that many guest requests. Like we get a few, we don't get a ton. So we're we're really we're really great thankful for that. Or we really can just choose what guests we want overall, and people seem to be pretty happy about it. Yeah, like we can get Panic like on. We're, we're we're really fortunate in that. I'm sure though, if we try to open up the floodgates, we'll get a lot of Vic, you know, askings. Yeah, but Lillian, you know, but Vic is big, and so Vic also costs money, and we're still a small convention, and so we like to save money wherever possible. Got a skimp not to get the Fiji water is what you're saying, right? Mm. So after you went to Tomokazu Seki, what was like the next like Otakon experience? Is this when you hit the dealer's room? Is what what happened? I think this is when we um, went to go get food. I'm pretty positive that is what we did next was food. Um, now this this was a a tragedy of like the highest magnitude. I think is that this food uh, getting incident at, at Otakon probably the greatest travesty uh, in. Perhaps convention history. It, would that be inaccurate? Um, it's possible. It's possible. I, I, I think so. I mean, you know, when you got to think about what what occurred here. I mean, I we didn't tell the story on our own podcast because I figured, you know, the most the most wronged person, the most wronged party wasn't wasn't there uh, during our you know recording. So we had to you know have you you guys present <laughs> to really like encapsulate this anecdote because you know as as we've established you know leading up to this there's not a lot of time downtime at otakon you know time spent going to the dealer's room or video games or you know getting food is time spent missing something that you want to go to and so it was you know approximately seven o'clock or what have you and we were like okay well there's something i want to go to at eight o'clock and you guys can do whatever but i only have an hour to leave the con get food come back and so we walked around and found there was, like, a nearby mall that, for whatever reason, maybe we'd just never been into that area of the mall, or was it all built recently? I can't tell. I just certainly know that whenever we would look for places to eat in Baltimore, it was always a huge pain, because in years past, no one took credit cards. It was cash only, everywhere you'd go, and there weren't a whole lot of options. Well, this year, that changed. Lots of places took credit, and there were a lot more, like, faster options. And so I said, all right, we'll go to Five Guys, because it's, you know, within walking distance. And there it is. And it doesn't take long to go through even a hilariously oversized line of anime con people who have taken over the inner harbor of Baltimore. And so I'm like, all right, I will order, like, uh, something very simple, like, you know, as, as, I don't know, how big Five Guys is elsewhere in the country, but it's kind of expanding and swallowing the nation whole at this point. So, I mean, without going into too much detail, I ordered, like, a little, you know, a a.k.a. their regular human being-sized, you know, burger, which I got, like, plain. 
um, very little things on it. And <laughs> there's a million people at this, you know, place. It's just overrunning. And so they're calling out numbers and they call my number. I take the bag. I'm like, okay, it appears to be my order since I was like the only person who did not get the fries because that's like fatal. And I'm like, okay, this has to be mine. And so I'm like, all right, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to this panel. You guys can stay. You know where I am. So I head out. I walk all the way back to the con and I go to this panel that I'm at and I open the bag and it's not my order. It's like, it's Gerald's order because Gerald ordered something that was twice as big that had like mushrooms and cheese and all sorts of like incredibly unconsumable by humans items of that sort. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is clearly not mine. He'll open his and see like, oh, it's clearly not his. And then he'll text me or call me or whatever. And then we'll, we'll say, oh, you know, we got the bags mixed up. That is not what happened. <laughs> What happened well, we, was we could, is that Gerald got his order that was half the size of what he'd ordered, and so like, yeah, well, that's really something, and then he ate it anyway, <laughs> as opposed to thinking, hmm, maybe our orders are switched. No, that, that didn't cross his mind, so he was like, oh, well, uh, I'm just going to eat this thing that I did not order, uh, despite the fact that, you know, what I actually ordered is a weird, you know, morass of death, and so he shows up. And, like, a- empty bag, because, of course, he's, you know, inhaled the-, the contents of this thing, presumably while walking. I don't know what happened. Uh, I- that's what I choose to believe. And then I'm like, well, I can't eat yours in return, so you have to just take it. And then Gerald's like, well, shit, man. What do you think I am? A ravenous beast of nature? Uh, all-consuming void of, you know, food and such? I can't eat a second Five Guys burger. I'm but Basil can. <laughs> now, yeah, we got our food at Five Guys and we ate it. And then first Joe goes, hey, let's go get cupcakes. <laughs> and I'm like, heck yeah, cupcakes. So we go get cupcakes, and those are pretty great. And then as we're walking back, he pauses and goes, hey, Basil. Yes? How about eating a second Five Guys burger? And my response is, uh, <laughs> so you ate the Five Guys burger and the fries and like one of these giant gimmick cupcakes from the gimmick cupcake store that's in that same area. It was not a giant gimmick cupcake. It was just a gimmick cupcake. Yeah, it was actually a reasonably like, uh, sized cupcake. Yeah, I was surprised. It's not like one of those crazy geegees where like the cup where the frosting is two thirds the size of the cupcake. No, it was it was like a cupcake. So that wasn't too bad. But yeah, so we get to the panel room and he's like, here you go, Basil. And I'm like, oh God, you're serious. And he pulls out his camera <laughs> and starts filming. And oh, I, now I have, oh God, I'm being filmed. Now I, now I have to man up. I, I have to be this ravenous, you know, beast of the void as, as, as I've been hyped to be. I, I, I will. And I got halfway through until the sights and smells of a second Five Guys burger. I didn't eat another burger for, like, days. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was only until recently I could eat, any, like, another burger, like, at all of any form. This never would have happened, Basil, if only Gerald had realized 
and cared, they got my order wrong. <laughs> and that, you know, there must be some sort of principle of conservation at fact here that, you know, if, if his is wrong, then someone else's may be wrong as well. A text message away could have saved your life, Basil. Well, you realize that that would have delayed me from eating food for like maybe minutes. five minutes. <laughs> like, and also, well, you know what happened to me though? It delayed me from eating food for nine hours because I couldn't eat dinner and everything was closed at that point. And you're, you're lucky I'm fueled by hate and not actual calories and fat and carbohydrates <laughs> like most people are because you know we didn't go to bed till like three a.m. Eh, we could have gone to Royal Farms. That is uh, always a possibility. I don't even remember what happened. Even though their fried chicken is not that great. Yeah, it's, you know, possibly not edible by humans. But this is a detail that we forgot to mention in their own podcast, Gerald. But we did notice, you know, because we went to Royal Farms twice on the Thursday. Oh, God, this is important. Holy crap, this is important. This is the most telling detail of all of Oticon, and we neglected to mention on our own podcast. So, remember, we went there Thursday at about... We went there Thursday. 3 o'clock or so. 3 p.m., I'd say, thereabouts. And, Basil, have you you been to the Royal Farms? Do you know... Okay, Royal Farms is a convenience store that's open 24 hours. It's actually pretty amazing, because you can go at 2 a.m. and get fresh fried chicken there. Yeah, I mean, you order, like, you know, they've got their fried chicken and potato wedges and all that kind of, you know, decadent stuff and touchscreen order system and all, all that sort of jazz. So anyway, we go there because, you know, we want to get drinks and, like, you know, some snacks or what have you. You know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, thereabouts. And so I noticed that this is a sort of establishment, being a convenience store, that sells pornography. But they don't keep it behind the counter. They keep it in front of the counter, directly adjacent to it. And so there's maybe one row of regular magazines, and the rest, like the remaining four, are all porno, of, of varying degrees of severity. And so I, I, I noticed this, and I, I realized this is set up so that you have to like, actually pick something up and hand it to someone wordlessly so that you can have the transaction, as opposed to keeping it behind the desk and then having to ask the clerk, Yes, I'd like a copy of this, please. And right. so I, I point this out to Gerald, and we have a good laugh and, you know, go about our business. We come back later that day. Later, get, that very to, same... To get, <laughs> to get some, some chocolate shakes, by the way, or to get some shakes, which didn't yeah. happen, unfortunately. Yeah, they were sold out of the shakes that we, we wanted uh, at that point. And so in the span of just a few hours, I notice all of the, like, hardcore pornography has been sold. And the only <laughs> thing that's left... The only is thing like, left is Playboys and penthouses, and that's well, it. Well, yeah, you know, comparatively more acceptable publications. And we're like, this is why pornography is a billion-dollar industry. You know, everyone always laughs, like, who the hell would pay money for porno? Well, the answer is the people who do don't make a public display of it, but they do spend a lot of money on it, silently. And so as long as that exists... There will always be, you know, the internet culture that will never be changed. And so I'm sure had we waited a few more hours, it would have been cleaned out entirely. And I think it probably was. I don't know if we ever went back there again to check up on that. But at the rate of decay that we observed, you know, AnimeCon people are the ones consuming pornography in massive deals. As Dealer's Room and as the entire ecosystem of Artist Alley will attest. 
Which, Gerald is an expert. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had assistance in this. So, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 is a, it is a small detail that I didn't even think of uh, at first. But, and, and remember, BronyCon was just the week before. And I, I can't think of what that, uh, that poor city must be going through <laughs> when BronyCon is happening and then anime, then Otakon the very next week. Because remember, BronyCon is like vast majority guys. And, you know, guys who like really shady stuff, too. So I assume that they just only restock that pornography. Only barely. Well, you can't say that Otakon. There is more than just guys. Yes. Well, that's what anime fandom is now, is it's actually majority ladies. All, all, all the Attack on Titan cosplayers. Yeah. Well, except for a few. I saw a couple guys. Nearly, but yeah, nearly all the Attack on Titan cosplayers, women. Yeah. I've never seen a male Levi costumer, which is weird because he's kind of like, the resident badass of a show where you have to be a badass to be alive. And yet, it's only ladies. It must be the hair. That's the only thing I can guess. Yeah, I guess, because most of the guys are usually, like, the blonde ones. The, I'm thinking about it. I think all the guy Attack on Cosplay cosplayers I saw were, were all blonde. I didn't see any guy Attack on Titan cosplayers at Otakon. I mean, there must have been some, because there's 35,000 people there. But every, like, major gathering and major photo shoot and whatever... It was all crossplay, or it was of all. Course, there was, I should say, there was the one guy who was arguably, depending on your definition of an inanimate object, was arguably crossplaying as Wall Maria. Yeah, that's true. And then I, I'm sure you know there was like some guys doing the gimmick, like um, I guess you can now buy the colossal Titan mask and gear and run around and do wacky YouTube-esque hijinks. And I'm sure there was probably a guy or two doing that, but we were we we saw you know more like female titan than that yeah i mean i the vast majority of what i were just a lot of mikasas that was 90 percent. i say i would say of what i or i would say like 80 percent of all the cosplay titan cosplay that i saw and it makes sense because she's like the resident badass of the show until right. levi shows up and right. so you'd think okay well the girls have their character and the guys have their character nope it's just all the girls just in drag to be levi because they're into like that S and M dynamic of him beating up a tied up Aaron Yeager, I guess at the you know trial. Yeah, if the fan art is to be believed, that is uh, how they want to ship it. Look, I <laughs> look, I watched this with a bunch of ladies, and that is hundred percent true. That is <laughs> that's what, what gets the, them going. No, that's the dream of all women is to get the shit beat out of them or beat the shit out of someone on their own terms. That's why BDSM is like through the roof lately. And, and, and burlesque to a lesser extent, even though there's not quite shit-beating out of them in the physical sense, that's a mental shit-beating. I don't know. I, thought, I always think of burlesque as like... That's the beating part. Is yeah, that, that's, you know, you're not delivering. The most painful, horrible thing you can sit through. Exactly. <laughs> this is what people want. Ladies, that is. It's like it's the core. I don't know. The, the, the idea of like, you know, sitting down and getting a blowjob, but the girl just like... Blows on like, penis. Yeah, that's, that's as close as like she ever gets. Blows air, you know. Blows, blows air on her penis. That's all you can get. That's 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 uh, no contact. Yeah. So how was cosplay burlesque? Because you guys must have gone, right? No. Oh, well, it was it was life changing. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. 
I, I, I don't really remember the details anymore. It, it's all kind of a blur. But what I can tell you about was the worst anime of all time. <laughs> An, another Mike Tool panel. Another excellent panel, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Everything I saw was amazing, so I don't know why he was calling it the worst anime. <laughs> well, that's just like, it. I, I mean, most of the things he was running as the worst anime were things that had run on anime's craziest deaths like years prior. <laughs> so I think there's a correlation. Yeah, the the rough part is is that as and Mike Tool is as well aware of this as anybody is is that you know there's two different types of worst, and there is the worst that is awesome to watch, or you know you, you can't even call it worst. It's just this is entertaining. Maybe it's not technically uh, on some level very good, but it's still entertaining, which is all that matters. And then there's the vast majority that is just mediocre, forgettable garbage. That you know, how do you even get a clip out of this? Yeah, which is not as much fun to fill your panel with. No. <laughs> like, well, we actually we le- we learned that you know firsthand when uh, we had Gerald on, we to do our worst anime of the two thousands. Oh yeah, and there's, we, there's we were all we were beating our heads over like, well, why did we watch that was bad? Because why would we watch anything that was bad? Yeah, there's just a we're lot of things that are just like, show. well, I watched this and I forgot about it completely, and it's like, uh, like I got what can you say episodes. about Candidate for Goddess? Like, Candidate for Goddess is just a shitty ass show that. It's awful and terrible. And I quickly decided to not watch after a couple episodes. Yeah. I think a substantial amount of the, quote, nerd geek culture is based around watching things that you don't actually like, but you watch it just to get mad or worked up at about. And, you know, as far as anime goes, there's not really people who are watching certain types of anime that is just really dull. People are into watching anime so they can be mad at it every week and post about how mad they are that they're watching it. I, I assume that that is the entire culture of comic books, is that there are people who do nothing but buy comic books that they hate. I feel like that's the entire culture of people who pirate comic books. I don't have proof that these people who buy things to be mad are actually spending money, Fine, but they are they definitely read reading things to be outraged. I think there's a, a portion of that. There's a lot of people who watch movies just so they can you know, bitch about the movie and how bad it was, and... Uh, for anime, people, like, worst anime of all time, that filled a huge room. That was, like, thousands, like, you know, 1,500 people easily, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, that was that was one of the rooms where I'm like, okay, this is, like, half the size of my con. Like, it was, it was like, the sa- almost same same size as, like, when their, their major viewing room where they showed uh, Wolf Children or the equivalent size room where they had the Yoko Kano concert. Like, it is, those rooms are just, Wow. And I'm glad that, you know, the stuff that Mike showed is more along the lines of the stuff I would show, because I, I feel like a lot of people, he, he got the intended audience that he wanted because they didn't know the stuff that he was running. It was all, like, unexpected to them. They, weren't, they mm-hmm. probably came in expecting, like, oh, what's the worst anime ever? Oh, it must be Naruto or something like that. And that's, like, not even in the league no. of what, like, would get shown. No, you're getting Psychic Wars or whatever that was. Yep, Psychic but, Wars. It's dead. Yeah, Gerald just, owns the DVD of that. Starship Troopers, just horrible, oh, lame yeah. crap. Well, no, actually, his stuff wasn't as lame. That stuff is actually, like, you get entertainment value out of it. I need to be careful there. Yeah, I was entertained, I was entertained by the Starship Troopers OAV. Yeah, there's well, no, yeah, you're entertained there. by the Starship Troopers OAV because you're able to see it as a clip, 
and yes. Mike, because he's able to use like the the After Effects and you know Premiere stuff, yeah. add like the funny sound effects or slow things down or loop footage and you know that kind of stuff, which is always good for a laugh. Um, you know, but as someone who has watched through Spectral Force in its entirety, it's very difficult to get the funny clip out of Spectral Force. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, Starship Troopers is is painful to watch, like beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, Fandora, that was a thing that was, like, popular in the 80s, because it's like, ooh, girl in skimpy armor with a sword fighting stuff and, you know, whatever. But Fandora blows, dude. Mm -hmm. I can't, like, even... It's such a blur. Like, what's the where's the uh, line between Fandora and Fantastic Adventures of Yoko, Lita, yeah, yeah. and all this, like... Now, I want, I want some... Fan, I'm trying to get some Fandora clips for Weird World of Going to Guy. <laughs> Was Fandora even by Gona God? Yes, he apparently. did that. He did that, totally. Yeah, apparently. It's like, that. It's like I didn't even realize that until Mike Toole said it, and I looked it up. Yes, apparently he did. All right, well, that is pretty much, um, unless there's anything else that y'all want to talk about that happened on Friday. No, I mean, uh, we don't want to make this thing too long for you to edit. Right, so let's <laughs> take a break, and we'll come back to, we'll come back to Saturday and Sunday. As for me, at least, Sunday was, like, one thing, but it was yeah. a very important thing. Um, so we'll be right back with more awesome cast, the Oticon 2013. Yes, that's right. A dinosaur story. A dinosaur that is Oticon 2013. Now, sadly, Saturday, I unfortunately, I, I'm guessing I just couldn't mentally handle the 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 crying manly tears of crying Freeman, and I woke up with a horrible migraine, <laughs> and it took many Advil and time to to for it to ease up so I could actually get out to the con floor again. So I, I feel that I unfortunately missed, like, the biggest, you know, announcement, the biggest news that came out of Otakon, which was uh, Watanabe getting the gang back together and announcing Space Dandy. Now, My panel uh, was opposite this, but yeah. I had gotten to interview him at least, and so he showed it to me the day before, and so I wasn't, like, totally out in the dark. Yeah, thankfully we did get to see the trailer, and I'm... So glad this is being made. I have a lot of faith that this will be exactly the show that I hope it will be. I I am I am very hyped for this show. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that it will get some play, just of, you know, on the networks and such, because it's it's one of those shows where I feel like you know why haven't you been making shows like this for like every other year since you know 1998. Well, the anime industry is a strange and crazy butterfly, Gerald, and 
We don't get good things. We don't get nice things. Uh, apparently, you know, it's a lot like the American industry and in that getting something made is kind of a little miracle. So... Well, it's in the 80s where you can just walk into an anime studio with an idea and half a plot and get money for your OAV anymore. Yeah, those days are gone. So the first panel we actually got to go to was a verticals panel, which was... was done in a exceptional fashion, I understand. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one, the only, the Ed Chavez. Was, that was no know, Ed Chavez, boy. <laughs> Rocking the Rombo Raw cosplay. Indeed. That was, that was, he was like, he was, he was born to cosplay Rombo Raw. <laughs> With a mustache of champion. I, I got yes. some good pictures of him. Yep. And, you know, sometimes it was hard to actually pay attention to his uh, announcements because I'm like, I'm just in awe. Just, just looking at him going, man, I know Gerald's my waifu, but <laughs> dang it, dang. <laughs> I was I was impressed. He uh, uh, he he did a fantastic job, and we were so stunned by it that we were partially <laughs> late for Shudichiro Watanabe's panel. No, no, not Watanabe's. It was Masaru Mariyama's panel in a horrible way. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, they they announced a lot of really neat things, like um, like apparently I think it's uh, Hideki Anno's wife, like her mom, oh, yeah, about yeah. her and him. Yeah, Moyoko right. Ano. Yeah. She did uh, Sakuran, which they'd previously released, and I guess that did well enough for them because they're actually releasing something else she did. And she also well, did Sakuran that. was was a lot of fun to read, uh, I will admit. And then he got... Um, well, seriously, that mustache. Uh, <laughs> like, they had some other Jose stuff that was like... I was like, oh, oh, snap. Really? Jose time at Vertical. Like, I want to say, was it the lady who does House of Five Leaves and all those other things? I believe so. That, she, sounds, she, so, that sounds like something, yeah. And that? I think Fumi... Some Ah, uh, I'm, I'm no Clarissa, I don't know. Yoshinaga not, Fumi. Yeah. Oh, God. I believe she's doing something else. And, uh, man, she's gotten a lot of stuff in the U.S., I gotta say. Yeah. She, yeah, she does. It's... <laughs> I much prefer her stuff than the girl who does the Sakura Hime. There's there's another girl where I cannot remember her name. Uh, she does a bunch of shoujo stuff that Viz has all released. And it's all almost painfully generic. And I might probably get crap for that, but I have tried reading several of her series and I can ingest shoujo like no one's business. But that those I just I'm like I'm just, Gonna put that down. See, I can't deal with Yoshinaga Fumi. I, I tried reading some of her stuff, and I was like, just uh, God, I was reading. Um, I forgot what it was, but I was just like, she writes guys so weirdly. Like, I wonder if this is how girls feel reading a, like a lot of guys manga. Because I'm reading this, and I'm like, guys do not act like this ever. You don't just walk around with your shirt off, you know, well, doing I don't... chores. I, d I don't, like, look at my friends and get all pouty that, you know, I can't sleep in the same bed with them. And, uh... Are you sure? Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> when you're around, Basil. But, uh... Well, like, well, maybe, well, maybe that's why I can relate to these mangas, Gerald. <laughs> it, <laughs> maybe that's why I can relate. It, it, it's coming she's out. She's on now, the other foot it. now, man. That's because she's not writing it for you, Mr. Patriarchy. <laughs> 
How does it feel to be hunted like an animal? (laughs) I'm sorry. I just started thinking about hard target again. That happened. (laughs) Now, I I want to know, since you're very good at this, Gerald, did you go to the JoJo's posing school? No, I did not. I I, I don't want to show everybody they're up. So, uh... Well, that was probably a good idea. I don't know. The next one, the next panel we went to, though, was the uh, Amaruyama and Mappa panel. Oh, my God. Daryl and I, like, it, it was such, like, an itchy and scratchy moment of just how we missed this stuff. It was ridiculous. Well, yeah, this was one of those those, those <laughs> panels where it was like, man, I, I, I'm so glad I made it. See? Because... That was like a double word score loss because we came in oh late, we missed something <laughs> exceptional, then we hold had on, to hold, leave hold because on. of an interview. We, hold, hold on, Daryl, that's not even the whole story. We came. No, in I'm, and we, I'm, we I'm missed... intending to not give the whole story because you're oh. going to fill the details in in a minute. But like I was saying, like we came in like a little late, we missed something. I'm like, God damn it, this sucks. And then it's like they said, stay tuned till the end. We're going to show something else that's super cool. And then it's like we have to leave early. God damn, this sucks. And then we leave early to get to the thing we're doing, and then that's when we find out that the thing we're doing is canceled for another day. So it's like we were just like zero for three. Yeah. I mean, we walk into this panel, and we just see the last frame, like the last, just the last second of this video, and it's just Satoshi Khan's face, and it just has this, this word saying adieu. And he's just saying, you know, that was a video that I made for my friend Satoshi Khan. No, it was a video that Rintaro made. Rintaro made for Satoshi Khan's <laughs> funeral and only ran at his funeral. That is the second time it had ever ran. And, you know, it was just so difficult for him to watch. And we were like, God damn it, we just missed this. <laughs> and then he said, well, I'm going to play this music video that we're not Wait, allowed no, no, we to can't, play. We, we, yeah, we can't say exactly the details, but he said he's going to play something, something that... Yeah. That we can't say uh, what it was. You have to be here in this room because technically about, it doesn't he was, exist. He was about to play it, and then you know there were technical difficulties. He said, "Oh, we'll play it later." And we're like, ah, damn it! So just every way we could, we missed. Well, he at least got to see the um, the thing that they did do for the uh, the crisis that happened in Tokyo two years yeah. ago during the earthquake. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a really neat little. Short. And, you know, we, we, we reiterate this through Twitter and our podcast and everything, but it needs to be said again and again. When you go to these conventions, go to these creators' panels. Always. Always go to them. You will see stuff there that you will never see anywhere else, that you will only see once, and that is it. Go to those creators' panels always. If you don't go to them, you better be. you better have a really good reason. Like, like, seriously, I sort of missed out on uh, a few of them by our last Oticon two years ago. But, you know, hearing things then, and then, you know, and last year, I'm like, I, we got to, I, we told Kyle, we got to go to these things. Yeah. And, you know, we already missed, we already missed, I was like, we already missed the premiere, you know, the, the tr- premiere trailer for Space Dandy. I'm not missing this right. one. <laughs> and I'm really glad that we didn't. And see, Gerald, sometimes it pays not to have interviews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we we missed uh, a few things here and there. But, you know, we got some great interviews, so I'm I'm not, you know, unhappy. Well, that's that's also really, really good. And the next thing that we got to do, this I think was at this point where we actually finally went and scoped out the dealer's room. Yeah, um, a brief little trip through the dealer's room. Well, but... it wasn't that brief because I ended up running into. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Jess and Chris from. Oh Oticon. yeah, we did just kind of sit down they at were, their uh, table promoting for a while. at Oticon, 
and we started talking to them about stuff, and time moved on, and we wanted to go to something else, and the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, God, Wolf Children's about to come, isn't an hour, we better get going, because uh, I really wanted to see Wolf Children, which is by the um, it's uh, name, Escape Me, but he did Summer Wars, yeah. and A Girl Who Lived Through, yeah. Okay. Uh, and this is his latest film. And I really wanted to go see because I've liked both his previous films. And I get there, and we barely got in. Like, this is one of those cases that if we were not pressed, we would not have gotten in. Because yeah, like, even like an hour out, like, the line was gigantic. Yeah, that's one where we had to go up with our press badges to go, press? Like, can <laughs> we? And they were like, they moved me to the floor, and they were like, well, just go in. This time, we'll go in. And I will, we were like, well, thank you. And we, so we got to see it, and it was it was very nice. It is not my favorite of his films, but I still enjoy myself. Um, it's about kids growing up who are, in fact, wolf children. So it is the nicest movie about furries that will ever be made. Mm. But I say that, but I really don't think he gets what we consider furries. I'm glad he doesn't then. <laughs> like, there is one scene, there's one scene where we're like, well, that's, uh, uh, but there's only one scene. <laughs> and the rest of it is very, very charming. And it ends up being this really, you don't realize it until like, until it ended, I realized that it, the movie is a very introspective movie where the conflict is a very internal conflict because it feels it's very slice of life. It's just about this, the power of a single mom who's having to raise wolf children and how those kids are dealing, growing up, being a part of two worlds and, and, and what is their place in life? And that is the crux of the movie is them figuring that out. And, you know, of course, this is, you know, fiction, things happen, and decisions are made, but it flows pretty well, but I kept waiting for these conflicts to happen that they really didn't, and I realized afterwards, oh, that's because they're all internal. Okay. And so I can see this not doing as well as Summer Wars, but I still think it's it's a really neat film, and I think it's it is a case of him sort of stepping out of his bounds. So I'm glad that he made it. And it since they showed us it in an English dub, I have to say it's got a fairly good quality English dub. Uh, yeah, okay. I will say that I'm not I'm not usually a dub guy, but I enjoyed it. No, yeah, yeah. it was an English dub premiere, so yeah, that's uh, we got to. It was a solid English cast. That's, that's kind of why we didn't go because. At least I hadn't seen the movie before, and I wanted to watch it in its original language, and so I, I skipped. I skipped it for that reason. Yeah, I, I definitely before we do an awesome cast about it, I'm definitely going to wait for the re- actual Blu-ray release so I can watch both because it does feel kind of weird that d- judging it based just the dub, and maybe that's because I am a snooty anime fan, which True. I'm fine with. But if I'm watching a Japanese cartoon, I just like watching it in Japanese. I think there's something, yeah, and I, I've noticed this. I mean, 
I typically always watch things in Japanese, given the choice as well. But when I do watch things in English, I have noticed, and maybe this is just me, but by and large, if it was dubbed in Texas, I don't care for that dub. Which means (laughs) pretty much anything by Funimation, pretty much anything by ADV, anything by Sentai or Section 23, you go down the list, you know, that whole Texas pool that does a lot of dubbing, I don't care for it. Which is weird, because those same actors are now popping up doing video game work, and they're fine in the video games. I want to say, because I really noticed this with Persona uh, for the Golden on the Vita, uh, where I'm like, man, this is a super good adaptation. This is super good. They're doing really great jobs. Like it's, It was a case of where I, I, I even told friends, that, like, I don't feel like I'm watching anime. I feel like I'm watching a cartoon. Mm. And, I, and I think that's where the disconnect is. And I think the video game can do it because there's no lip flat matching. And, and I'm just really wondering that that might be it. That because they have to match those lip flaps... You did just remind me that Vic had a vital role in Persona that'll keep him going for a while. I I think maybe... Three. Maybe I'm... I don't know if he was in... Maybe I'm wrong on this, but don't they get different voice directors to do the video games? Part of it is that, um, but but not all of it, because, I mean, some of these people who are doing the directing for the games are dub voice actors themselves. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the anime is dubbed by yeah. vo- dub voice actors themselves. I'm wondering if the video games maybe have a longer production time, but I, I, I don't know. You'd have to start quizzing people. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on the game, too, because sometimes they will be able to record audio beforehand. And uh, if you can do that, typically you're, you can have more flexibility in your performance. I mean, so. I'm playing Saints Row 4, and you know, Saints Row the Third was also like a significant... like portion of the Funimation dub crew or voices in that, and the same is true for was, this one. And that was a great dub. It was exceptionally good. Yeah, it was terrific. So it's clearly not, you know, the actors. Like, I, I, but I have noticed that, you know, because, you know, after, you know, starting, you know, doing the podcast and uh, in, in interviewing various uh, English, you know, VAs, I have started watching more of their stuff, and I, and there is this this peculiar feel to a lot of anime dubs. Now, is this that a Texas thing? Because I mean, I also don't care for Bang Zoom, and they they're in California, I think. So I mean, is it just every anime studio except for like one or two? It it might be. I it don't might know. Just be a total snobby jerk, I guess. It's possible. But I said that there's definitely there's a feel and. Like, you know, and Wolf Children had it, but it wasn't bad, but it is a different feel from there is, like, you know, normal cartoons. Like, and I, I just kind of wonder if it's, it's just a case of adaptation. And that's just what you get. I, I don't know. I'm not a VA person. Maybe that's something I should ask the next time I get to interview one. But, uh, so overall, you thought the, the movie was pretty good. You liked that it was uh, yeah. a little bit different from Hosoda compared to his previous work. Well, how, I, how much I, of a tearjerker is it? Is Justin Savakis going to ball like a baby? Ooh, that's a good question. Yes, the answer is <laughs> yes. Uh, probably yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is this might be a so. How much do you love your mama? Kind of question. 
<laughs> it's probably the same answer. I, I will say, though, I kept expecting certain things to happen in this movie, and this movie's very good about that. I won't say anything else. It did but, not quite go the way I was expecting several times. Like, so, and I, I got a similar feeling that I got from um, The Children Who Chases Voices. Not that they're, the movies are anyway similar, but it really did feel like they were the, the directors were, were sort of stretching themselves. So, you didn't feel like he was, like, uh, Children Who Chase Lost Voices, whatever, whatever. Like, I felt that he was trying to be Miyazaki, like, in a way. And um, and that was, you know, almost a detractor to that movie. Like, it, it, does it feel like he's trying to be anybody else in this, or he's trying to be his own person? I, I think he's trying to be his own person, uh, to me. And he's definitely trying a different kind of story. Like, this does not feel like a straight-up, like, action flick that a lot of, you know, anime tends to be. This is, I think, is something that is best done in animated form. But because of how they handle things, like, I think if they tried to do this in live action, it would not work. I don't think you would get the same uh, visual effects that you got out of it being anime. But it's definitely not a, it's definitely not what I would consider typical. And just how the story plays out. Mm. And so it's it's really hard to say. Oh, that was it was very interesting, and I'm very glad it was made. But I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed Summer Wars. Sounds like you probably need to watch it again and absorb it a bit. Like that. Yeah, yeah. I I would like to watch it again myself and watch it again in Japanese. Like sometimes yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be like that about a movie where I'll I'll walk out of it, and especially if I see something in a theater, I'll tend to like it more. And then when I sit and sort of think about it and absorb it, and I'm like, wait, that movie wasn't good at all. <laughs> no, wait, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was horrible. Wait a second. Yes, as better much as you want to like it. Still better than the comics. I'll fight <laughs> anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> comics ain't good. Look into your heart. Those comics ain't good. Not even the first one. Nope. The movie's better than the first comic. I said it. Bring and it. the movies are terrible, too. Send your hate mail to Chainsaw Buffet. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast at ChainsawBuffet.com. Yeah. But, yeah, and after that, you know, I think actually it was at this point, after this was over, when the, you know, Five Guys incident occurred. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think now, Five Guys Friday, was definitely a Friday occurrence. No, no, that, that was, was Saturday. Saturday. That was totally Saturday. That was Saturday. Because Friday we, was when I, I found out. we entered... The fish place as y'all were leaving ah, the fish place. Oh, that yeah. was lunch, though. Yeah, so I guess we, we faced dinner on our own at that point. Anyways, what's know. important was that the next thing we did was um, a work of an auteur, one might say, with uh, anime's craziest deaths. So how how was getting into that? Because, I mean, I saw some of the line because, you know, they... They put us in the room that, you know, seats maybe 500 or whatever when in the year before I was in that, that Mike Tool Worst Anime Ever room, which, uh, you know, is a much larger room. I don't know how many people got turned away relative to, you know, the amount of people lined up for it. Well, we've used our press passes and got in pretty easily. <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it, I guess. 
<laughs> that, yeah. that's, 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 that's one of those things where we were like, well... It enabled we you doing... to get your press report in that you're about to do right now. Yeah. Right. Which was... It, that was that was awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, good show, sir. Well, yeah. what, what sort of things, like... I know, obviously, what I ran and all that stuff, but, like, what sort of things sort of stood out to you as, like, you know memorable because i don't i have no idea uh, with with only a few exceptions of like you know like a calculated like surgical strike there's only a few things that i like really understand like how like what went over what were things that you could remember like uh, name wise that you know you might consider looking out for or tracking down if anything well, or is it all just i, a I know i want to i know i want to see a sura now okay that was one of the uh, ones, that, like, the main ones that I kind of positioned to be like, I want people to go see the movie. I will say the first thing is, is I'm sure this was your, like, one of your surgical strikes, was well, how you presented Attack on Titan. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, where you start off with the Funimation logo. I, I believe I, I, I started off with the Funimation logo for Psychopaths. That, that, no, that's right, that's right. I just... No, that's right. That's how we positioned for Pain Train for the holidays. <laughs> the Funimation because logo. Because I had the Noitomina logo to say, like, oh, finally some dignity, and then it was Psychopaths. Right. No, um, since uh, Funimation also has Attack on Titan, uh, my goal is that if people are going to, they're going to, if they go to our holiday one day event at Hamacon, this is a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear what I'm going to do, then skip ahead. But my plan now is to play the Funimation opening, and then I'm going to once then I'm going to reprise the Attack on Hill for the opening, and then I'm going to cut the, a very similar cut of the Attack on Moe clip. Okay, show. it works. It works well. Because um, that was like because I was when you do Attack on like okay, wait I haven't seen this version. I must have missed this. Oh, this is brilliant. At no point, like, I, I actually, that was the one clip that uh, died on me was my Attack on Titan clip, um, and I think it was because it was one of the only things I used that wasn't an MP4. It might have just been the way I set up the cuts, but I mean, if it's one of those things where, you know, in rehearsal, it played fine. Once you have the projector hooked up, that's when it decides to freeze, and so I... Right you know, kind of quickly advanced to the next one or, you know, closed and restarted and advanced to the next one. And, um, you know, that's why I'm a, a huge advocate of the dual view desktop because no one can see you frantically screwing up and, you know, <laughs> reordering things and what have you. I, I thought it went well. Uh, it, it went very well. Um, man, that, that short form thing that was, uh, that was Tara with the dog. Oh yeah, oh. we uh, just did a review of that. That's what. Yeah, Gerald was so fascinated by it, oh. he tracked it down and watched it, and that, that's what the next AWO review will be entirely <laughs> we, about. We uh, reviewed it uh, right. last night, and it's something I'd known about for years, but uh, I didn't actually know it was available because it was only available at at film festivals and at his weird presentations. Yeah, like that was. That was it, Midori? Midori. Oh, okay, I'm glad you remembered the name. I'm glad it made an impression on you. Chojo Subaki. Like, it's uh, known as a couple of things, actually. But yeah, and you know, I could say Craig Freeman, but that's that, that's really cheating because I saw it just the night before. <laughs> and it's Craig Freeman. I've I've read the manga, 
which I didn't realize was out until, when, again, Gerald did the review on AWO, like, as you control all podcasts from the shadows. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, w- were there any other shows where you're like, I, I'm not familiar mm. with what this is, but now I want to find out about it? Um, no, there was the one, the one like, like Kevin mentioned, the, yeah. uh, Asura, Asura, that, yeah. that looked really interesting. Like Midori and Asura were definitely the two you showed that I had no clue what they were when you started showing them. Got me, cause I'm usually not a fan of CG anime. Like, even as, when it's even just purely CG, cause it always reminds me too much of video game cutscenes, but that one didn't. Yeah, it's definitely well and, done. Uh, I mean, and it is one where I was sort of banking on, like, this is... Like, those two in particular, where I was like, I, I doubt that most people will know what this is. Like, the rest, well, you know, some people will certainly know. And certainly things like Psychopaths and Attack on Titan, I was like, okay, everyone will know what these are. And so I don't want to dwell too much on them. But yeah, I, I figured, uh, you know, short of superimposing the titles on the clips, uh, I'm wondering if that would help or hurt because uh some things like um when mike was introducing clips he would actually put the title on there and that's one of those things i'd always considered doing and then realized like uh but i'd have to learn how computers work to make that happen uh, yeah I, I know that very similar feeling when i do my uh getting your anime groove back panel where you know i'm showing i'm trying to introduce people to anime and it's I, that's why I usually make sure I show the openings for things. Because I only show like four or five shows. I don't show a lot. But I show a lot of each individual episode. Um, I will say that uh, you did re-get me interested in Humanity Has Declined. Oh, that's right. That That uh, is a little bit of an outlier. But uh, yeah, that's certainly a pretty funny show. Like that, was, that was a show that when it aired, I'm like, I need to watch that. But then there was a bunch of other things I was watching and that one kind of fell to the side, and you just, that reminded me, I, I need to pick that up. It's again. also a show that, if you just look at images of it, is... It does is not look not, like a show you want to watch. Right. It, it looks like every other anime show, but it's, uh, the, the content of it is, is different. But a lot of the other things were, were things that I had seen, like JoJo's and Black Lagoon... I at least had shown the Blu-ray version of JoJo's, which had the uh, uncensoring yeah. on it, which was which was appreciated because I I hadn't seen those. I I only saw the, you know the the dirty filthy you know pirate yeah versions that unfortunately was the only option available. So you uh, have seen the, like... the Yamato twenty one ninety nine? Then you guys have been watching that or. Basil more than me, although in my case it's not because I don't want to, but because I've been lazy. There are very few shows that I will go out that aren't just streaming. And that's how most people are, and, is if it's not streaming, it doesn't exist. And, and Yamato is one of those ones that I have... I will seek out, I, I have seeked out, but I need to seek out again. Like, there was the first batch of like six episodes, and I watched those, but I need to go back and watch more. So I've seen it, but not all of it. Uh, no. I, I did like uh, the inclusion of Mardok Scramble because I I really like Mardok Scramble. I've read the novel. Uh, I've been watching the anime. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm, I'm a pretty I'm pretty interested in it. I mean, the second episode is certainly much more naked breast oriented than bullet in the dick oriented, but uh, it's, it's pretty good stuff. I'm glad it's getting made. 
I think it'll get back more than I'm at least hopefully if it goes like the novel, it'll get back more to that in the third movie. <laughs> a little more uh, actiony. I will say I'm now glad I'll never have to actually go watch Blood Sea because I've obviously seen the only important part. I'm of pretty it. sure you've between last year and this year <laughs> you've seen all that's particularly exceptional yeah, about I'm that pretty sure show. There's, uh, from what I saw in the longer clips that I've seen on YouTube, there's nothing else to show from that show. Yeah. I mean, no, maybe a, you can maybe get, really. you know, a few more clips of girls getting spiked, but uh, not really things that have a narrative to it any longer. I feel, I feel funny. Say, it feels funny to say this, but yeah, it's probably the weak installment of the blood meta series. Uh, well, I mean, blood, it, it, I'm not even going to say it's horrifying to think that the very first one is the best because that was just sort of a <laughs> and, proof and was, of concept of can digital animation work. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't even call that one like a classic or anything. It was just like decent and it was short and didn't really accomplish a whole lot. But yeah, that's the best. Like, ugh. Oh, you guys didn't like the live action movie? <laughs> oh, God. Japanese live action movies, man. I don't know even really Japanese is the horrible part. Oh, uh, well, it's, I don't know, if you didn't see it, it's basically take the original Blood the Last Vampire OAV, then add about an hour to it that takes place after the events of the OAV. <laughs> like, just keep, it just keeps going. And, and have a lot of, <laughs> I assume, I'm assuming here, have a lot of scenes of just people standing around and talking or doing nothing and make it really, really boring. A bit. That's that's. I mean, how many Japanese live action films have you seen that are exciting? Well, I mean, as even the thing though, it's it's really it's like almost entirely American actors. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's like it's film, you know. Right? I've seen a fair share of like, enjoyable live action Japanese films, but you know, it's a subject for another day. Since I didn't watch any yeah. Japanese films at Otakon. No, and missed the Roni Kenshin movie. I kind of. Thought I might want to see that at one point, but I. The first I movie is it. not an example of a good live action movie. I, my dad ended up seeing that just purely by happenstance. He's like, I saw this terrible movie the other day. I was like, I have no idea what it was about. Like, just, it was just really bad. It was like, you know, about this guy and it was in Japan. It's like, was it Ruin Kenshin? Yeah, that was it. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure the turnout for that was huge. For that, uh, I can't even remember. Was it the second movie or the first movie that they were showing? Probably the first. I think. Well, yeah, I think they're working on the second live. Yeah, action I don't think movie. it's out yet. Mm. But they did premiere, you know, the, before it even came out in Japan, you know, or Elmo. Oh, it's an I yeah. or a emo. I'm sorry. Special. Yeah, I married my sister edition. That that thing that I'm. I really feel I'm a better human being for never seeing yep. it. I mean, I'm glad I just ignored every single person who spent all those years saying, it's not what you think it is, it's just got an unfortunate title. Wrong. All you were wrong. I was the right. First, the, the first fucking season is entertaining, the, but that shit. You're just that, trying to justify how you were that, scammed? That I know fucking, it hurts. I, I have not, I've not <laughs> bothered with the second season because it, I know it was going to descend into bullshit. And so I avoided the bullshit. Yeah, that was one of the shows that I really stopped going to my anime club for. Yeah. Because I had, I had given up the my, my throne, as it were, because they were starting to watch stuff I really didn't like, and 
that was one of them. And I'm so, like, they're like, but but you'll like it. I'm like, no, 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 I won't. No. no, this is you are wrong. So it, you know, for all the, it's not incest. It really is incest. Just is that yeah, it, it? It all, it all, everything that you think it. The the first season, you know, doesn't descend into that, but then the second season descends right into that bullshit. I understand. So, fuck that show. So. Yeah, well, I've got one friend of mine whose taste in anime tends to be the polar opposite of mine, <laughs> and he likes the ending, and I'm like, dude... Then this is not a friend. Who is this person? Dude. Uh, I, I know people... So, anyways... <laughs> start talking about anime, and I'm like, I, there's nothing that you say. You and your, you know... An easy way for me to tell is, like... Uh, what's that shitty ass company that does uh, Type Moon? Like, if you like Type Moon, there's nothing we have to talk about. Hey, <laughs> sorry, but there's nothing we have to talk about. There's nothing good that they've ever made. Now his big thing is he likes a lot of the stuff from that, that uh, adapted works from from the key video games. That's even worse. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Well, at least I'm not the low man on totem pole for liking freaking type moon. eyes that are like saucer plates. <laughs> that are creepier than that frickin' terrible animated thing that I'm thinking of, I don't remember the name of, where the eyes just Canon. barely move. Or Canon, or... Maybe. Yeah, those things, and... now there's another... There's an anime, it's an old anime, that was just badly done. Ah, whatever, it doesn't matter. The key stuff's crap. Yeah. Key is crap. <laughs> and it made Mega Tokyo, Mega Tokyo, and that's crap, too. I can't believe it's still being made. It had a Kickstarter. What the shit? <laughs> and... Didn't it make its stretch goal, so now it has to make porno? Probably. I bet it's his favorite. I bet that is like, all right, guys, I just made my end game. <laughs> you told me to make porno my thing. I am living the dream. <laughs> am I going to ink this? No, fuck that. <laughs> Inking's for fuckers. <laughs> but what was great and awesome and amazing happened on Sunday. And I feel like I Which, feel like a bit of a heathen because I'm just like, eh, it was okay. Heathen! I, I guess. <laughs> like, I, I well, must no. be because it, it was just like, it wasn't bad, but, you know, it wasn't life-changing to me. I barely take more offense at that than, you, than hating on Typhoon. So, <laughs> well, heathen! <laughs> I, I do think this is a very similar case where, and I, I don't mean to speak for either of y'all, but why I liked kids on the slope so much and y'all just liked it. I don't, need, I don't know if I even like really just liked it because like I said, I watched it once and I have no intention of ever watching it again, ever. I I straight up, I just didn't like it. I, okay. I probably would never, I wouldn't have finished it if we hadn't been doing a review of it. And the only reason I watched through it is because Gerald told me to watch it because I thought that he was doing the review. So I was like, oh, I better watch this thing also. And then I show up for the review. It's like, oh, so, Daryl, you're doing this review. And I was like, shit. Uh, that, that was, that was miscommunication on our part. I thought yes. it was you snookering me. No, it was miscommunication. I All right. So anyway, you went to the concert. Tell us about your experience getting into the concert and how, how you pulled that one off because not very many people were able to get into the Yoko Kano concert. Okay. Um... First off, I will admit, I got the easy part of the assignment of tasks from my group. Basil's part of the plan was he sleeps. (laughs) Um, 
the three of us who went at the contingent of of the awesome cast was myself, Kevin, and Anna, who's our editor, and also my girlfriend, who's amazing, and thank you for editing this. Um, I know this is another long one. Anyways, we, we were talking, and I, we were like, uh, I've done music all my life, Kevin's done music all his life, uh, so has Anna, and so we're all big musical geeks. And Yoko Kano is my favorite composer that's, you know, alive. And I'm like, I really want to go. And she goes, well, I'll wait in line on Sunday and we'll see what happens. I'll get up early and wait if you'll drive. And I'm like, so that means I get to sleep? Yes, I deal. Deal. I feel I totally won this. Yeah. And I think she feels she totally won this. So it all works out. Yeah, but yeah, we both, both me and Anna, got in line at about 6 in the morning. Now, how did you know that you had to get in the line at 6 in the morning and where? Um, it is on the website. Okay, yeah. I, now, the 6 in the morning that was, just, was a guess. just based off what we I saw on Twitter and Anna saw on Twitter the other two days. That's just our... That, that just seemed to be the right starting yeah. point. And one of the reasons why we chose Sunday as opposed to Monday, uh, Monday, uh, Friday and Saturday, and here's how the system worked, just in general, was that they only had so many seats, and so you had to get a ticket, and the way you got a ticket was you had to wait, you had to, on Friday and Saturday, they started at 1, and on Sunday, it started at 9 a.m., 1 p.m. for the other days. And you had to wait in line, and they had so many tickets to give out, and they'd give out the amount of tickets. And so we decided that Sunday would be the time we tried, because you just had to wait till 9 instead of till 1. Yeah. That way we could do other things on Friday and Saturday, and we did luck out, and we got our tickets. And also, I imagine some people were uh, not all that willing to get up Sunday morning from excessive partying Saturday night. Uh. And so, and it was, it really felt like it was a system that they developed like, oh gosh, this is going to be really popular, isn't it? What are we going to do? We have 10 minutes to think of a plan. What is the plan? And after seeing the concert, I understood why she was in the room that she was in. Uh, mostly because I was, I started, I was talking to Anna, um, and because I mentioned like you know how there wasn't that many autographs, and she's like, well that makes sense. She's a pianist, right? And, well, yeah. Well, well, her hands are really important. She probably can only write so many signatures. Well, that makes sense. And then you know, now I don't know about like interviews and stuff, but I could see with the with the production they did with her playing the piano, what they did with the piano, I can see why they couldn't, like, say, put it in the arena where you wouldn't get nearly the, the view, the, the intimacy that, obviously, that she was going for with her production. Which is what I felt the concert really was, was a, a one-person audiovisual production. So were you able to, like, easily recognize most of the set that she played? I mean, a lot of it was Kids on the Slope, Music. Um, I think she had like two things that were kids on the slope. There was. Well, that was like, I noticed, you know, of course, 
And really, if I was smart, I'd have the, the, the full well, I know when they sent well, I, the I set list, I don't think that's like a complete set list, because I think she did some improv in that, where she sort of threw in some bits from, like, Macross Plus, and then, like, there was no reaction to Macross Plus, and then she never played anything Macross Plus ever again. Yeah. That, that's... For me, it was honestly... Yeah. Yeah, I, I recognize things here and there, but a lot of it was such a blur because I was just listening to her play. I'm, I, I recognized most of it in the sense that I knew I had heard this music before. Um, I couldn't pinpoint all of it because honestly, at this point, I've watched a lot of anime with Yoko Kano soundtracks. I mean, I own most of the soundtracks that she's done. Like, I'm I'm a big enough fan of her work, and I couldn't pick out a lot of the. Uh, uh, a lot of the pieces that she was doing until, like, uh, you know, I picked out, you know, the, the Macross Plus piece. I, I did not pick out the uh, uh, the Wolf's Rain one. I did, like, the Escaflone one completely missed me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I heard the Escaflone one. I thought I heard a bit of Aquarion Evolves in one of those, so I, you may be right about improvising some stuff, but... And I think and I, get, I mean I think it's just that I'm used to hearing like a lot of her work is not the piano version, like right? Because you you didn't realize that she was playing the real folk blues, and that's traditionally a saxophone piece, right? And playing the piano one, right? I mean yeah, I, I oh, recognize like the Macross piece because that was a piano piece originally, and so yeah. Mm. And there was one from Brain Powered that the real version sounds a lot different because it's like not really involved with piano at all. There was one I didn't even re- I didn't recognize that it was from Brain Powered until I saw the set list. And so I guess that, I, that's why for me it was just kind of like, eh, it's okay because I, I guess my expectation was I'm going to come to this and I'm going to hear this music that I know, and I didn't actually get that. I got like honestly, I was also partially hoping to hear like brand new stuff like stuff that she had composed specifically like for piano that I may have never heard before I actually wasn't ex- I was also not expecting all rage but I was expecting like I guess even I expected something something else hmm. um but what they did with it was really neat I thought with the, uh, the audio visuals where they where the entire piano was covered in white white felt and they used the piano as a projector screen. And they shot various audio effects on top of her playing piano, which I thought was a really neat idea, and that suddenly made sense why it was in the setting that it was in. Because for you you know, to get as many people a chance to see that without like, you know as soon as you set that into like the arena, like I'm sure it, everything would immediately look like, you know, a smaller scale, it would not you would not get the effect. And we were very fortunate in that, um, like, Sunday, as soon as Kevin and Anna got tickets, Anna waited in line for seats while Kevin came back to wake me up, and we packed all the car and everything. And then, instead of going to anything else, we went straight back to stand with Anna in the line. And we looked out, and we got, like, six rows back, right-centered smack in front of uh, Yoko Kano, they were amazing scenes. Mm. Yes, those were great um, scenes. And if anyone's curious, um, Ink from Anagamers did an excellent write-up with an excellent picture that may or may not feature me. <laughs> um, now, doing like the gesture of triumph, 
bef- in, during like, the like interim intermission between Chiaki Ishikawa and Yoko Kano. Yes, what that's actually funny because I, I'm walking back from the restroom. And I'm seeing. I think this is actually right before the first the first part where I'm like, oh hey, there's people here, and so I do a ah, and they take and some of them take pictures, and one guy goes. That was awesome. Wait, my picture was crappy. Get up there and do it again. <laughs> and I go, ah, that's great. And he takes a picture and goes, yes. And I gave him my hammock on car because that's all I had left at the time. And I go back to sit in my seat. And just later on that day, I get a tweet going, oh, hey, dude, it's me from, it's Inc. from Anagamers. And I'm like, oh, crap, we never met. We met to meet. Well, holy crap. And it was just one of those weird happenstances that, you know, that is my life. Where people know who I am and I don't understand it. But it was, but that was, I I really enjoyed the concert. Um, I I had a lot of fun. I I, I won't, I guess I wouldn't go so far as say life-changing, but it was definitely like a really super hype. You think moment. if maybe you had been the one waiting in line all that time, and then to get the tickets and then to get inside, maybe what your opinion of it would have been higher. Um, possibly, possibly. I think for me, it's also a case of like a lot of the Kelly Bebop stuff. I sort of remembered it, but didn't really remember it because I realized it's been so long since I watched the show or even listened to the soundtracks because it's been so long. And it was the same thing with Escaflone. I didn't get that first. I should have. But I didn't just because I hadn't listened to it in forever. And so when I realized that what I was listening to was a lot was renditions of the stuff she's done before, I'm like, man, I should have I should have boned up. I should have yeah. re-listened to things so I'd be ready for it. So I, I think that would have helped me out a lot more in my enjoyment of it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's my shining moment or deep shame that I'm the only one who recognized the Earth Girl Arjuna. That's music. definitely deep shame. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, but for us, that was that concert was it because we had to get going back to Huntsville. It was pretty much all of our Sunday was somehow involved in either getting into that concert, watching that concert, or getting ready to leave. <laughs> well, uh, and then getting you know ambushed by Doug Wilder. To talk about you know Otakon and and the where, concert itself, uh, which you know I was just sort of right. you know tongue tied because everyone was saying oh it was fantastic and amazing and I'm the one feeling like the asshole of like it was okay. <laughs> well, and I felt another point was brought up was then by Daryl who was like you know and it's something we haven't really mentioned because I I want to say this sort of the end was Otakon was super packed this year. Super packed. Yeah, and it's getting worse and worse, and they now have only one option to fix that. And that is moving to D.C. in 2017. Yeah, so three years down the line, which, you know, I imagine that couldn't happen that much sooner because, I mean, Otakon is what I'd heard, and I don't know how accurate this is, is um, what that Otakon is the single biggest event in terms of in ejecting money into the Baltimore economy that the convention center holds. 
I think I've read that somewhere else before, too, so I don't think you're too far okay, off. Okay, because I know it, it It throws, like, 10 plus 10 or $15 million into Baltimore every year, and that is that is a lot of money that Baltimore is just losing because they yeah. can get their act together and get the convention center, you know, going. And I know that apparently that what they're moving to is why they move bigger, and it's in D.C., and I know they keep expressing interest in move, going back to Baltimore once Baltimore can make certain renovations. But I'm not really quite sure what they can do. Well, you have to sign contracts for big things like that, and so I imagine, you know, they're working on stuff. Like, because the trick is with, with the Baltimore Convention Center, I feel that it's very it's very long. Like, it feels like it's like one... Like, there's one main thoroughfare... And all the rooms are to the sides of that thoroughfare, except for like a couple of floors here and there. But overall, it's like one long strip. Mm. And there's a couple of walkways for that long strip, and that's where most of the congestion happens. And I don't see how you can expand those walkways unless, I guess, you add more walkways. Or if you tear the whole thing down and just start again. And right. So. Yeah. Like, yeah, short of building a whole brand new building. Which I thought was was what they were going to be doing. Um, well, if that's the case, then then awesome. I, I I thought they were renovating the existing building and trying to add more like rooms. And I'm, I I don't I was like I don't think that's the the ticket, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think unfortunately it's the setup they have is just it is what it is, and, and I I don't know what else you can do. And we do. talked about this on our podcast, but. Now, straight up, the Baltimore, the Otakon guys, they know crowd control better than I do, so they probably had a reason for this, but I have no clue why they blocked off certain walkways and certain areas that, to me, would have relieved congestion. I have no, There was the area underneath the overpass where you cross over the street and you're by the artist alley and the dealer's room. I have mm. no clue why they blocked that off. I'm sure they had a good reason, but that would have relieve tremendous congestion. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't um, know what some of the choices were. I'm sure they know better than I do, but I look at that and I just think, like, this makes no sense to me. I, I was amazed that on Friday, like, there was a gigantic line to get to the dealer's room, like, apparently most of the day, from what I understand. Yeah, by, by assholes and idiots who don't have anything better to do with their fucking lives than go to the fucking dealer's room. God damn it. I hate those people. Don't line up for the goddamn dealer's room people. Don't do it. Like, I am... Like, for example, I could... Like, for example, at Hamacon this year, we had a line for a dealer's room uh, due to fire code. And a lot of it we're planning on... We thought the flow looked really good on paper... But it was our first year using that space the way it was used. And so we think we've got a better idea for next year. But at Otakon, if if they're breaking fire code already on the first day, you know, they're, where there's a line most of the day. They are already then, they're way too big for that place then. Way, way, yeah. way too big. I, I really so, wish I could entice some a large anime convention like that to come down to Orlando because our convention center is designed for, I believe, 110,000 people. I think there's just so much apathy in Florida that I don't uh, think they'd get the turnout. Even if you booked all the guests <laughs> there were, I mean, they would get more people from out of state 
than people who are local. And that's not the case in Baltimore, and I know this for a fact, because I was looking at where those street passes were coming from. Oh, yeah, there were all, everything, everything everyone I got was, was from, local. Well, everything I got was from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything was New Jersey or Maryland. But and and I mean I'm I'm mostly joking with you know bringing it down to Orlando that's ridiculous because everybody right. who who works on that lives in you know the north lives in New England I'm just joking because there aren't a lot of convention centers that can handle that many people at once yeah like they'd and have to go to like Arizona or you know something like that like Tucson and 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 the thing is is if they can handle that many people then it's another question of can do they have enough affordable hotel rooms? And that's also oftentimes very few places have that as well. Well, and that's one of the things that they actually, because I know like as soon as Sunday hit and they announced this, they immediately had an interview with ANN where they talked about that, where initially they, they had this convention center that was big enough in DC, but didn't have the hotels yet. Yeah. And apparently they expect by, 2017, they will. My, my concern is that those hotel rooms are going to be like $400 a night because that is what DC is like. <laughs> so. Well, I'm hoping that it's they can you know work their Otakon magic and say, hey, we're going to be bringing in this amount of money right. to you. It's got to be this way, at least this affordable for for us to be able to move in right. here. I mean, that's but you're going to make this much money. Right. Like that's why I joke about using Orlando because having 35,000 people at the convention center there would just be another day there. And the hotels spaces wouldn't even breathe hard. But again, that's just me joking around. But uh, yeah, I mean, Baltimore like the the hotel situation is, you know, it's to the point where you have to make your reservations really early. So like already yeah. And be like, before we had just record this, you had to already booked your rooms. Yeah, and if you haven't, then you're you're in the very expensive hotel now. Yeah, they're sold out now. <laughs> they're, you're sold out now. Yeah. We can't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was glad I was on. I was checking Twitter when I did, and could I could throw down for that for the days in because that's like the best deal ever. Right. And I mean, it's a significantly better deal than anything else, and so that's why yeah. it's the first that's gone, and so. I mean, that's what we have to deal with every year at Baltimore. But, you know, for example, uh, it's not AnimeCon, but DragonCon has the same problem. Yeah, I've Daryl's been to DragonCon. I haven't, and so I don't know what that's like. That just seems like terror. It's what you seem it to be. I, okay. It's just there's 40,000 people there, and the, presumably it's the NerdCon, and there's... Like, never have I seen so many people, never have I seen so much programming and so much schedule events, and so little that I care about than Dragon Con. Mm. It's I'm just, looking, that's like... Yeah, Daryl uh, and I were actually just looking through the schedule today, because it's a 126-page schedule. <laughs> yeah, well, it, like, Dragon Con is like five, not, like, ten different cons. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, you know, half a day of the four days that it runs worth of stuff that I be remotely interested in seeing. Right. I mean, every single day is a four-hour-long drum circle. <laughs> On the you schedule. Know, like, there's... Yes. There is... Dragon is something else. Like, I have several friends who now work that con, and so I, I... You know, so part of me doesn't want to speak ill, 
We but will. admittedly, the one time, but well, but the one time I went, it was the worst convention experience I ever had. What year and did so, you go? Three or four okay. years ago, roughly okay. around the year I went. Like it, I think it was like the year after you okay. went. Well, it's pretty much um, the same deal, only you know, bigger and more unpleasant, I guess. That's but I just remember, I remember going to the podcast track. Yep. That's where I went through. And and going there, and I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, yeah, I do this Firefly thing. I do this Doctor Who thing. And like, well, what do you talk about? Well, I talk about video games. Well, that's cool. And anime. And then suddenly they all sort of almost like stepped back. Yeah, yeah I and, mean, that's just – that's really like being down in the trenches and seeing how things are. Like that's why I just can't buy into Mr. Dunbar's convergence theory because just there is – isn't that reciprocation, you know, and they pin that on us. And it's like, it ain't us, dude. You know, you'll find more people at the Anime Con who are into Firefly and are into, you know, all that stuff uh, than, than the opposite. I mean, Dragon Con's treatment of anime people is the same as every other big, like, Comic-Con or Sci-Fi Con's treatment of anime people. It's like they, they shift them off into the corner where they don't want, you know, to be seen, but they definitely want the money from the registration. So, you know that'll be a thing. And they get their own but separate but equal costume contest, et cetera, et cetera. But it, and it's really weird because it's not like I don't like a lot of the other things that they like too. But as soon as I say I like anime as well, you're, then you're, ooh, out, like you're out. You're anime. You're, Might as well just say like you're a it, child molester or something. No, no, they would have been more into that because it's Dragon Con. It That's is like true. the foundation founded, of Dragon Con. Founded by a child molester. Oh, so. uh, well, uh, well, on that note, this is Otakon we're talking about. <laughs> and Otakon is super awesome. Um, and I'm... The first time... Well, the first time I went was like... It was it was, it was pre-Awesome Cast era. And I just went as an attendee and just had no clue what I was doing. And, you know, it was you know, two years ago and this year. Where, you know, my first year that was, you know, post-Awesome Cast was two years ago, and that was a lot of fun. And this was the year I finally felt I started calling it, I started getting a grip on it. Because I remember when I first walked around, I was I was having to re-get all my bearings, because I got my bearings, you know, at the end of the day, at, on Sunday of uh, two years ago. And I was like, but I was here two years ago, I should know these places. And I finally, you know... Saturday, I got the grip. So I'm, I'm expecting on Friday, I'm going to finally figure it all out again next year, and I'll be, I'll be set. Because yeah, the thing is huge. And then in 2017, I'll know nothing again. Because it'll be in D.C. And who knows what the hell. I'm looking forward to that, though. I think that's going to be really exciting to see how they handle their, their first year in a new place. Yeah. I, I mean, they had to do something. And so that's the closest place in New England. And, and I'm glad that they're very being very proactive about it. Um, I, I will also say, like, the press people are super nice. Yeah, they're super awesome, all of them. Like, I, I was like, you know, I got there, and they hand me this mug and this little notepad with Otakon on it. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm just this little rickety What podcast. I want to know is how on earth you describe that mug as little. 
That is the biggest fucking mug I've seen outside of like one of those giant cappuccino things. Actually, all my mugs are that size except for one, and that was the one that Tim Eldred got me of like the Pat Labor SV2, and that's a normal sized mug. And I thought like, oh, these mugs are tiny, but no, I just happen to only get mutant coffee mugs. Look, I'm a void beast, all right. I consume that which should not be consumed. Oh, we got video footage of that. I I need mugs that can handle my basilocity. <laughs> and so, sorry guys, Yodicon's just a little, I, I expect bigger next time. <laughs> I, I need a big gulp mug. <laughs> some, oh, 64 some giant, ounce. Some giant ceramic thing that just weighs like 30 pounds. Look, I want a mug that actually screams Oticon, which means I need a mug fit for 35,000 people, all right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I'm saying. But no, they, they were, but they, as soon as I went reeking, they like, no, 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 no. You are awesome. You, you show up to our con. You're great. We, we we're glad you're here. And man, that was, that was a great feeling to hear these guys from this big con that has like over 700 staffers. You know, it got over 30, almost 35K people, and they're going to know you're important. We're glad you're here because you want to talk about us at some point. That's, that's amazing, and that was a great feeling. And uh, I'm really glad for the opportunity, you know, twice now in a row for me. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they won't listen to this go, oh, God, these guys suck. We're not getting them back. But hopefully they like us still, because Otakon was a grand, grand time, and I'm glad I went, and I really want to go again. And that's it for me. Uh, I'm going to give it, like, one could-be-bigger mug, but a pretty great mug out of awesome. Ooh. So, uh, now that we're doing out of awesomes, Kevin, uh, I'm putting yeah, you on the spot. Yeah, no, no time to think. No time to think. Ah! It was... Come on, Kevin. Three key shows out of a type moon. Out of awesome. That's obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure if you actually... I think you only enjoy one of those things. I do only enjoy one of those things. Uh, one of the key shows. The, no. You can give, you can give that the uh, mechanical designer for Space Dandy is was also worked on Bash Squash out of Austin. Awesome. Uh, Thomas Romain. Oh, yeah. Right. One of, yeah, one of the yeah. several designers, since it's going to have a bunch of guest designs. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting as Tom Romain doing something not Choji Kawamori. Uh, that's interesting. But... Uh, <laughs> It yeah, it was a tremendously musical experience of awesome because I really, really, really loved that concert. So yeah. I rated 274 street pass tags before I did the update that enables you to get the pink pieces that you can only get from meeting people on street pass out of awesome. 471 street passes when you had the updates so you could get your pink pieces. Absolutely. I was smart and did that. I just did I had no concept of what Street Pass even was. <laughs> oh man, Street Pass the Otacon was so great. Yeah. I, oh man, I got all my puzzle pieces and my army's kinda big now. And oh man, that was that that is a con where you I could have just spent a whole day sitting down during in, in the Marine Thoroughfare and just street passed all day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many people with street passes there. Like I was, I wonder yeah. what the Vita oh, yeah. equivalent of that is. It's near and it makes no goddamn sense. No. And I don't know why it's even there. No. I don't understand it. It's yeah. kind of stupid. I ignore it. 
Um, and, although, yeah, like Shin Megami Tensei 4, um, it's Street Pass. So, like, my my uh, Yamato Takaru is seriously badass, well above where he should be from, like, weird stat bonuses from Street Pass. That was the one thing I never Street Pass, and I should have. <laughs> I, I, all I focus on was getting puzzle pieces and Warrior's Way to, to raise my army. I didn't even think about my Shin Megami Tensei. But anyways, Otakon's a lot of fun. We have talked now forever. Thank you so much, Daryl and Gerald. For showing up. It's always good to be on, guys. Uh, just let us know, you know, should the need arise for us to sort of be here every once in a while, the, you know, we can probably do it pretty easily. We love being on shows that we don't have to edit. Like, Unless you and have I to re-record that, it, in the case yes. of Gerald's appearances. <laughs> well, there's a reason why he's an acclaimed anime gentleman <laughs> and, and, and talk to us all over again. Um, and then finally... Uh, I'll end this with a plug saying, hey, we're all going to be at AWA. We've all got panels, and you should go to all of them, whatever they are. And I'm sure if you go to our websites, Close to AWA will tell you when and where and why you should go to all of them. Yeah. So, once again, thank you guys. Thank you, listeners. And with that, we are out. You know what that means. Time for me to get eccentric. Catch you all again sometime, somewhere. Those requests coming in. Goodbye. Dos vedania. Sayonara. Adios.